Okay, I'm jazzed. All right. Let's do this. I wonder if I'm going to be able to read my rating. <clears throat> We're all ready. Quiet, please. Quiet on set. Quiet on set. Of there is one outside chance for a cure. But, uh, I think of it as a shock treatment. As I said, it's a very outside chance. But Would you just name so it, for God's sakes? What is it? Do you have any religious beliefs? No. What about your daughter? No. Why? Have you ever heard of exorcism? They thought they made a horror show. Not they stirred a curse deep down below. But they had built it began to feel. Forever now they must spin the wheel. This is the 100 Lunatics Podcast, where horror lovers and horror haters come together for insights, insults, and information overload. Here's your horror-loving host, Daniel. Welcome, everyone. His horror-hating cousin, Nathan. And Andrew. Tonight, we watched The Exorcist. The Exorcist. This is a big one. Nathan, intern, say hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Okay, and now, since this is such a big one, since this is The Exorcist, the one, the 1973 Exorcist, I want to take a moment here to maybe stop and include in on this momentous occasion some new listeners, some potential new listeners that we might have and explain what the hell is happening here and how we do it. You might have heard on the way in, Wilter. Wilter is our wheel. He chooses our movies for us randomly. We spin him at the end, he chooses the movie we watch next, and because of last episode, we are fortunate enough now to finally have made it to one of the genre's top most iconic films, The Exorcist. Guys, can you tell I'm excited? I can tell you're excited. And just to clarify for everyone out there, yes, that is a wheel, a personified wheel. It's a real wheel. Yeah, you you and heard Daniel's that. Daniel's out of breath, excited. Yeah, you, you heard that correctly. And actually, what really happens is Daniel has to feed the wheel with his blood to make it spin, so that we get to continue our journey and our plight to watch and sometimes appreciate and sometimes criticize movies of the horror genre. Uh, toilet water or intern? <laughs> Son of a bitch. Yes, we haven't been including the actual feeding part as of lately We've really pared things down with Wilter's presence in the show But it does happen, and in the case that we have guests, guests especially in my presence Sometimes I'll get them to feed the wheel And now, while we're at it, I would like to make a special mention to some of our fans Maybe one of some of our biggest fans, definitely friends of the show, fans of the show Ex-employees of mine, Caruso and Marissa, I hope you're listening right now, closing down shop as you listen to this. Hello, welcome, we look forward to having you in the future. Nathan, intern, The Exorcist. Caruso and Melissa. Marissa. Marissa. Marissa and Caruso, are are they going to come on the podcast someday? They will, yes, they will be appearing someday in the near future. Oh my goodness, that's That's exciting. exciting. We could always do with more interns. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know if uh, 
anyone would be able to be toilet water. Hey, it was a joke. Oh, it was a joke. Oh. Try to have a little fun, huh? I feel like I'm Jeez. the only one that's capable of handling the uh, pressures. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think someone's a little jealous about the possibility of someone muscling in on his no, intern no, I territory. Think that they can come in and talk, and it'll be great adventure. Just yep. probably not toilet water adventure. Well, right. encounter the intern in a dark hallway. Like I was toilet water first. Yeah. Yeah. he's okay okay folks he's he's obviously offended by the toilet water comment in turn i apologize for I, saying that apologize? <laughs> nathan come on what are you doing sorry <laughs> we're getting off track here we're, we're here to talk about the exorcism the exorcist yeah i don't get why it's called the exorcist I think it should be called the exorcism because it's like the mother of all exorcisms, is it not? It is the mother of all Why are they referring it to it as the exorcist? Because that's who Father Marin is. He is like the exorcist, the no. go-to in the 20th century for exorcisms. No, he's not. He's a guy that did something in Africa 10 years ago for a month. It's not even efficient. It took him six weeks. Yes, you're right. This should be called the exorcism. I stand by my comment. Nonsense. But, right, let's get right into this. Because I, this is how I want to approach this. I had many ideas about how we should do the exorcist show. Should we make it big and boisterous with bells and whistles and bullshit? And just regurgitate all the things and all the little nooks and crannies that have already been explored over the past 35 years. And just rehash them here. I kind of wanted to do that, but I settled instead. I think I want to get some basic facts out of the way. And then because this movie is so big, I think it's a perfect opportunity for us to bring it down to scale and just look at it as a regular old movie. Do not look at it as a movie that you're supposed to love because you know how famous it is. Let's take a deep look at what it actually is. I have no problem doing that. Because are, you on, are you on board, intern? I, well, that's how I watch all these movies. Right. I was uh, extra pleased to watch this, though. Because, of its, because of its legendary, Night iconic nature? And Leprechaun 2. Because of its legendary, iconic nature and how many Academy Awards it was nominated and how amazing it no. is as a horror movie, as a, as a flag for the horror movie? Uh, no, I, I feel like I was excited because it doesn't actually feel like a horror movie. Well, actually, what I meant to say was flag or banner for the horror genre. Oh, okay. But I said horror movie. Yeah. And I expose the fact that I'm in well into my second drink. <laughs> <laughs> keep it. Keep the pace. Keep the pace, keep gentlemen. You, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> See what I did there? I was I, I kind of turned it around. I was like, hey, let's let's all keep this movie in its place. This legendary, iconic, amazing <laughs> banner for the horror genre. Huh? Yes. And I will say that I think if you keep track at all or have like deciphered at all my take or my perspective on horror movies and the horror genre it is that I have an objective view on them I recognize most of them as utter garbage but it is this bar this exorcist bar and movies that I would put maybe in the same tier as it that we'll get to one day this is the bar that I'm setting and you see that when you set the bar this high you get things just like the intern just said which is this this didn't feel like a horror movie and I, that, that's not what I want. I don't want horror movies when they're actually made good, the rare time that they're made good, for it to be like, oh, they're so good they have elevated themselves from the genre. That's not what I want. I want this to be the genre and it to be elevated to, not, the, not that it is so good it has bypassed 
the shitstorm that other people think the horror genre is? It depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to someone that isn't doesn't have an affinity for horror movies or celebrate them in any way, that's probably what they'll lean towards saying when they watch something like The Exorcist is they will say this movie did elevate beyond the genre because it it meant something to them or it impacted them and they respected its quality. So therefore, it can't be a part of the genre because they dislike the genre. However, someone who is a horror movie fan and an appreciator of the genre will probably say this is not elevating beyond the genre. This is what you're saying, setting an expectation, setting a bar and being that you know beacon that everyone should try to adhere to or try to focus on. Yes. And this is William Friedkin's The Exorcist based on William Peter Blatty's novel The Exorcist. Uh, highly renowned. Let's get that all out of the way right now. It doesn't even matter that it has an 8.0 on IMDb, that it has an 87% user and critic on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Uh, the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. One of the highest grossing horror movies of all time. The first horror movie to be nominated for Academy Award. Won two awards, nominated for ten, yada, blah, blah, blah. We get it. This one fucking nailed it. But. 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 but sorry. <laughs> flew off the fucking handle. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this, to me, I watched, I've seen this movie hundreds of times. Maybe a little bit exaggerated. Maybe 200 times. Close to 200 times I've probably watched this movie. I love it. I know it front to back. And every time I watch it, it is just as great. I get scared at the same parts. There's something about this movie that makes me feel like, even though I know exactly what's going to happen, that it might not happen the same way this time. That, to me, plays a big part in why I love it. Now, The Exorcist. We have the original theatrical release and the extended director's cut release. Which version did you guys watch, or did you watch both? I watched the extended director's cut because that's what i remember walking out saying we were gonna watch okay nathan i watched the one that was on netflix so the <laughs> original cut sure awesome this is actually <laughs> awesome it is because i know them both so now we have nathan's perspective on the original we have intern's perspective on the extended cut they're both great in their own way um initial rating nathan you know, I, I'm going to have to go zero. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, no. <laughs> I, just, I just came in here today thinking you could you could stroke it like everybody else on the podcast and celebrate the exorcist and we could throw confetti in the air or we could make it interesting. We could make it interesting and make them convince me of something, right? Could make you convince that... You would give. Oh, I'm offended I'm, right now. I'm fucking around. I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Obviously, I can't give this movie a zero. That would be a slap in the face. Horribly irresponsible. Yeah, it'd be a big. It'd be a, it would be a problem. It would end up becoming a problem. I'd lose credibility, and that's not a good thing. <clears throat> that's not a good thing. Um, I am going to say two. Okay, two. We're going with good or recommendable intern and recommendable after watching the a few horror movies that I've watched recently. And I've watched quite a few in this last little 
two week span. Um, I will be giving this a three because I actually just enjoyed the whole movie. And I was talking with a few people afterwards about it and like, yeah, you should watch this again. Like, I know you watched it a long time ago, but you should watch it again. Actually recommending it to people. Uh, well, well, two is good and recommendable. No, but I think it's a three. It's a masterpiece, Nathan. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what three means. Three means masterpiece. Apparently. Apparently no. it is oh. in the horror okay. genre. All right. Somebody got easily swayed. <laughs> easily we'll swayed. See. We'll talk about it later. I've got well, points. We're, uh, we're definitely going to get into it, and I'm going to be a... I'm what was that? A problem. What was that? That so, was the intern making noise that has ruined your podcast. Do you have rats Daniel. in the attic? <laughs> I got angry and I smashed the desk. Yeah. Oh, no, God. He's becoming possessed. No, he, he <laughs> accidentally kneed the desk and looked at me with like an open mouthed like, ah. Uh huh. So, there it is. Yeah. Next thing you know, so, he's jamming the keyboard into his crotch saying, fuck me. Okay. All right. We're already starting. <laughs> okay. So Nathan 2, Andrew 3, he thinks it's a masterpiece. Mr. Uh, Mr. Hey, he hates horror more than I do. And here he is trumpeting this movie. Yep. Daniel, what do you got? Uh, this for me is definitely a three. And it is a well thought out three. I don't come to this movie championing it because it holds such a high position in the genre or that people love it. I never considered that. I saw this movie when I was very young. I recognized it immediately as different from the slasher movies that I was watching back to back to back every day and have been searching for it like my first heroin high ever since. Well, I've watched Back to the Future probably like 200 times and I'd probably give it a, a three as a masterpiece. So I can understand how watching a movie 200 times would give you an unfair bias. Okay. And, and, and ruin your credibility. I could see <laughs> no. this, this movie is on the 100 Lunatic site as a number three when Daniels explained the rating system. Oh. This is the movie he uses as the example. Yeah, so it, it implanted itself in his childhood brain and there's no going back. I'm here to give a little bit of conversation because if we all jumped in into this ring and jerked off to three, then there'd be nothing to talk about. Exactly. We do need to have a little bit of perspective. So I'm, I'm glad that you are down a little bit. I was expecting a one or a two, honestly, from you. So you were no surprise. Zero from me. <laughs> no. What were, you, what were you expecting from Andrew? You weren't expecting a three from him, were you? No, I was thinking. I was thinking because his exposure to horror, especially through this show so far, has been the awful stuff well, <laughs> that that this would get so. an immediate number two i thought mm. i enjoyed the first one wicker man was good well, yeah, andrew, wicker man was good yeah andrew yeah this this podcast has now become about fighting over the intern that's good okay because i'm gonna bring you down to two and daniel's gonna try and keep you at three okay so ring a bell or something daniel <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, not a bell. <laughs> that was that was pretty weak. <laughs> okay, so who are we dealing with here? Um, Nathan, did you know? Are you familiar with Friedkin? I'm familiar that Friedkin has directed The French Connection like two years before that. Yep. I don't see anything in his uh, in his no, repertoire or his repertoire that would that would suggest that he is. Uh, a legendary director of any kind or or has the kind of clout that you introduced him with. Uh, the French Connection did win Best Picture. 
The Exorcist was nominated from Best Picture. So I'd say he was an early 70s, like... Yes. Like Kingpin, and then after that disappeared. That's what I would say. Yeah, he he's a man that belongs in the 70s. In fact, uh, I'm not sure if what version of the extended cut or whatever you guys saw, but he does introduce the film on the version that I have, and he looks like a man that laments for the 70s. <laughs> Well, there's another thing to say here, too, and I don't think this is brought up enough with all movies, okay? This isn't just an exorcist issue or me trying to attack and maintain my two and bring the intern back down to two. Wink. Um, (laughs) I don't think it's said enough that the projects that directors choose are sometimes not their choice. Sometimes these things are handed to them. Sometimes the the people they end up working with really work well together and everything comes together to create a special movie or a special moment. And let's be honest, in the horror genre, The Exorcist is a special moment, albeit it is a two. Um, The French Connection is also another special moment that happened. It was a very, a lot of good pieces came together. And maybe, maybe this speaks to Friedkin that once he got the clout after making those two movies to do what he wanted to do, and the choices he made after that, leading to a very forgettable career, doesn't that speak to maybe that these two movies weren't his 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 choice? No, they're they're the directors that make great movies throughout their entire careers, and then there are the directors that give us one or two great ones. And mm-hmm. uh, if he's one of those, that's fine. But to live and die in L.A., Blue Chips, Jade, Bug, Killer Joe, these aren't Jade. Jade. These aren't terrible movies. You're you're gonna bring David Caruso's Jade to the table. <laughs> David Caruso, as ridiculous as CSI Miami was, he, I feel like sometimes he nails it with the right director. Like he's in Session Nine, and I like that movie. Okay, Daniel, you're upsetting me. <laughs> come, Nathan, come on. Hey, hey, <laughs> Nathan, great, come on. What are you doing? The great, the greatness here is the French Connection and The Exorcist, and that's where it ends. Fine. That, okay, that, that's that's fine. That is fine. Okay. I'm not here to defend Friedkin, even though I think yeah. he does a great job with this movie. I'm not. Uh, it is fine. It's just fine. It's a two. Well, it's a three. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. And and I told you right that I went on like a little escapade, uh, knowing that we were going to be doing this podcast. I went and finally watched. Even though I have no problem watching the sequels to all other franchises, I have refused to watch the Exorcist sequels all the way until like the last couple of weeks. But Friedkin doesn't have anything to do with those, does he? No, he does not. No. But William Peter Blatty, his, he, does he have his hand in all of them or just some of them? Uh, he has his hand in, in quite a, in the first three, I think. Actually, maybe all of them. He directs the third one, which is strange, and does an okay job with it too. But... What about Ellen Burstein? Oh, well, hey, you won't get any argument from me out of Ellen Burstein. That's a great... That, in fact, a lot of the casting here, I can't, I can't argue with any of that. This did, this did establish a great moment for the horror genre. It is... If, if I could say 2.5, I would probably uh, consider it, just because mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of things in this movie that do need to be talked about and championed and i will i will be there trumpeting the the things that need to be trumpeted but i will also bring reality to some of the other uh areas of the movie that you guys probably gloss over with your you know with your hard dicks in your hand orgasms
I feel like we should have given Carrie a better a better podcast. <laughs> so many of the clips get brought back. They do. We, we Carrie had a great podcast. And if we need to go back and do a Carrie podcast remake, we'll do one. That'd be a great candidate. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Ellen Burstyn, what can you say? All right. I was going to point out that for Ellen, I mean, Ellen Burstyn must be high in your esteem, Daniel. She's the one of the main actresses in two of your favorite movies of all time. Yes, that is right. Yeah, Requiem for a Dream and The Exorcist. And and it's weird too because I find her right on the verge of uh great acting and overacting. <laughs> it's consistent though. It works because it's consistent. Yes, I agree. You see in the beginning of the movie and I don't know, I don't want to jump into the walkthrough before you're ready, but you see in the very beginning of this movie how she handles stress with her job on the phone where she freaks out. She has a big spaz on the phone with someone. Mm-hmm. She's very, very quick to become emotional. So when she becomes very emotional uh, when the other shit starts going down, it's, it, it's fluent. It makes sense. There's consistency. Right. And I'm ready to get into this. All I want to mention other than her is uh, Linda Blair. This movie made her and destroyed her at the same time. Um, Max von Sydow showing up as Father Marin, Jason Miller as Father Karras. Can we can we stop on Sido for a minute? Sure. That fucking guy had makeup on in this movie. Oh yeah, he did. Because when I saw him in this movie, I immediately said, "Wait a minute. He looks exactly the same as he does in What Dreams May Come and Minority Report as he does in this fucking movie." And Needful Things. Night, well, yeah, but do we need to talk about needful things? Come on, not? second best devil. <laughs> 19, oh, Vigo? Is that Vigo? No, that's different. No, first best is uh, Stormare in uh, Constantine. Oh, right. You know what, though? Everybody, go check out trailerparkpodcast.com. Eventually, Daniel's going to have to deal with something on his burden list, which challenges the best devil in a movie uh, conversation. <sighs> Ooh. Yeah. Angel Heart, Robert De Niro. Anyway. <clears throat> Here you go. Um, Max von Sydow is 86 years old right now. So back in 1973, he was like in his early 50s, but they managed to make him look like he was 60 pushing 70. Mm-hmm. But because he he looks the same, he looks the same. I don't. I was I was blown away at at uh, how he looks the same. And then later on in the movie, I'm I've got my face right up to the monitor, looking at his makeup, <laughs> trying <laughs> trying to see. Okay, <laughs> yep. No, they're fucking with me. He's not that old. No, so. it's true. He's actually in his 40s in this movie. Mm, 29? And, and they... 1929. And they have... Oh, 29. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 44. Yeah, he's 44. Okay, well, then that's even more amazing because I just... I sat there thinking, is he just one of those guys that started to look old quickly and just stayed looking old for the rest of his life? Or is there actually something going on here? But yeah, you, you could see the makeup, especially on his hands and stuff. You could see it in some of the exorcism scenes pretty blatantly. Yeah. I'd actually say the makeup was a little weak, to be honest. I, actually, the makeup has got a lot of credit in this movie. It actually... And it, it's, it's two. It's two makeup. The, the, okay, so the, the makeup might be two, but the, the fact that it's all practical, I will gladly take a practical two over a CG three. 
Well, no, you said practical too. I just said too. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, they they took his face and they gave him like an intense facelift and then made the makeup on his facelift face and then let his face go and it made all the makeup crinkle up and look very, very natural. They did a good job. Okay. Well, hey, the reason also I wanted to start with Cedow is because he's the first guy we deal with in this movie. So if we're going to start the walkthrough, then we got to deal with him first. We do. And the, there's only one last thing, the person that gets overlooked that is a big reason that this movie got an Academy Award in the first place, which is Mercedes McCambridge, who plays uh, Reagan's voice whenever it's not Linda Blair. And she's a famous 1940s radio actress who was chosen by the director because she had a bizarre genderless voice that he thought would be perfect to contort. And she got way into it, like old crazy actress way into it. She tied herself to chairs and put herself through physical punishment and like drank whiskey and chain smoked and drank raw eggs and gargled bizarre fluids to get gravel in her voice. And she performed all of these insane growlings and freaking out. All the parts that aren't Linda Blair are all done by this one bizarre 1940s radio actress, Mercedes McCambridge. Well, I think if you're going to give shout-outs to people, you should probably give a shout-out to Jason Miller as well because I think this is probably one of the more sympathetic characters in the in the show, polarizing, in fact. I was drawn towards Father Karras. Karras? How do you say it? Karras, yeah. Karras? I was drawn Karis. towards... I think, I think Father Karras is potentially the strongest character in this whole movie. Fuck him in the ass, Karras. <laughs> no, he is. He's... If, if you were going to say... The Exorcist applies to someone. I would say that it applies to him. Well, he's the one. Not, not to sit down. That does that, though. We'll get to that at the end, though. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you, Nathan. Yes, he is one of the most sympathetic characters in this movie, and we will be getting heavily into that. Let's begin this thing, Nathan. What have I told you about? The- what is important in a horror story or a horror film about location, atmosphere? Isolation. Isolation. Here we are in the cradle of humanity. If there is ever a place where good and evil may have been birthed, it is here. He's free. This is Guy. What's his name? Can I have the name of the character of Cedow, please? Uh, Father Marin. Father Marin is a scared little bitch. He had six-week experience with a terrible, terrible exorcism, and he went hiding in northern Iraq in the middle of middle of nowhere, digging in the in the ground and looking really inquisitively at, at a bunch of, you know, relics that don't really mean anything. Little demon relics. They do I'll, mean I'll admit, something. The Oscar winning sound does a good job of drawing you into everything that he's looking at. But really we don't really I mean this this whole scene is you know, without the sound it's boring. Yeah, but this sets it for me. And the sound is great. The rhythmic pounding of their tools and the archaeological dig. Um, Sidow, who is a character who is a priest, but he has sort of foregone the spiritual responsibilities and is more interested in the physical realm, which is why he's more into archaeology. And he does have this like true exorcism that exhausted him and his faith laying up upon his shoulders from before. So when he finds these relics that are reminiscent of these ancient demonic uh, icons, they do mean something, and they do set the tone. Here is an ancient place where these sorts of ancient evils and goods are born from. 
Fair enough. I like that. that. Is, well, that's that's fair enough. But this is a sound guy that is, and this is me trying to bring things back to two. Okay, I want that to be known. That's my goal here. Right. <laughs> Uh, this is a sound person that has been nominated 11 times and won three Oscars. This is a master of sound. So he is adding an element to this scene and drawing you into things that normally, like if that sound wasn't there, this doesn't happen. You don't get drawn into that. You're right. And sound is huge for horror. It is huge for horror and it's huge for this movie. And this guy does an exceptional job on this movie and French Connection. If you guys have seen French Connection, he does a great, there's a, there's a great scene with Gene Hackman sitting at a bar, staring out across at, a, at his target that he's investigating. And just like the noise of the bar and the sound of the, of the drink in front of him and stuff, just like overwhelm, just build and build and build and build and build and overwhelm and then boom, just like this does in this scene where it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds as he's pulling focus into whatever, um, Father Marin is looking at, you know, and, and it gathers that intensity, which relays in this movie as evil. It just like increases the, the intensity and the evil of, of whatever's happening. And it just snaps. Right. Right. And, the, and this movie is about like the true non-cynical good and evil. The part that a lot of secularists and modern atheists like ourselves would have a lot of trouble really buying into, which is why I appreciate the opening to The Exorcist. It draws you in in a very primordial sort of way, as opposed to starting in a church or someplace where my defenses would be up. That's a good point, too. And I will give props to the director here, too. They worked very well together because you've got this image of this old priest who's digging around. Yeah, in northern Iraq. What is he doing out there? Why is he doing that? These relics come out of the ground and he is his focus is pulled. He is distracted mentally by what's happening. And that comes across really strongly with the use of the sound and everything. It's just people are trying to get his attention and stuff. And he's just his 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 attention is pulled by whatever's happening. And the sound is is crucial for that. Yes. And you get the notion that something that he thought was put to rest may have reawoken. And he goes back to I'm not sure what he does. He He's sort of pulled. He understands that his wait, job wait, here is done, right? No, wait, what? You just said that you get the notion that something that he had done that had been put to rest is being reborn? Yes, he seems disturbed by these finds. He's disturbed by the finds, but I don't know that that comes across, that something that he has done and put to rest has being reborn. I think you're reading into it and creating something that isn't there. Yes, I think I'm bringing some of my maybe book knowledge that's jumping ahead of things. Oh, you've read The Exorcist. I have read The Exorcist. The novel. Okay. And Nathan, you would probably appreciate the irony in concerning some of the rants I've had on trailer parks in the past that this movie is most definitely based on a book based on a true story. <laughs> does it say that in the trailer, though? No, it, I don't think it does, but, no, but it is a big part of this, yeah. Hmm. Well, it's also the same at, you know... In the same vein, it is the novelist who wrote the screenplay. Yes, and to be fair, the story that he based it on was not some myth that he took liberty with. All the things in the movie are things that are in the factual report of the story upon which it's based. Are you referring to Robbie Mannheim? Yes. Codename Robbie, yeah. Roland, Roland Doe? They keep his name very secretive. 
but a 1949 case in Maryland, one of only a dozen legitimized and documented exorcisms that occurred throughout the entire 1900s, according to the church. Well, there's a lot of things that happened according to the church, am I right? Right. But yeah, it, am I right? <laughs> but a young boy with an exhaustive Little, exorcism. Yeah. and yeah, young, young boys. There's a lot of stuff going on there, right? Am I right? Huh? <laughs> Hello. Hello. Okay. Penis. There it is. Yeah, yeah, that's a part of it. That's what they needed <sighs> to exercise. Oh, what a big tootsie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Right, but we have the great scene. But he, he seems compelled to leave, right? He All of a sudden, he has to go somewhere. Where is he going? Where is Father Marin going? Yeah. I don't know. He dis-a-fucking-peers for the great majority of this movie. But later, you learn that he came back to do something scholastic with a different school in a different state or whatever it was. I forget. Yes, that's right. Something yeah. to do with something scholastic. Like he's... He's involved with a college or university doing something or a church somewhere nearby. I've, I don't know. I no, don't know. You're No, you're right, Nathan. You're right. He is He is actually, yes, you're right. We do, yeah, he's been called to this sort of um, university, religious university called Woodstock to— Right, Woodstock. Yeah, I remember thinking, you mean the concert? <laughs> yes, to, de- to develop and lecture upon some of his findings. Um, right. Now we are in Maryland. We're in the— more natural setting. Chris McNeil, uh, Linda Blair as Reagan. But at first, we only get Chris McNeil. She's a famous actress, apparently. And is this, Nathan, does this start, in turn, you can you can uh, pipe in here. Does this start with her waking up to the sound of what she thinks is rats in the attic? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but there can't be rats up there because the attic is clean. <laughs> the attic is clean? Yeah. Yeah, from their, like, Nazi runaway butler. Yeah, and, yeah, but the attic is clean. Then we must have clean rats. Yeah. That's the quote that I have for A little, little bit of toot from that guy. Mm-hmm. Yes, but this yeah. is how the official story of the little boy uh, begins as well. It begins with hearing something in the walls or in the ceiling. And so that's how this movie starts, is with Chris thinking she hears something scratching around in the attic. Also, dripping water is mentioned in the real story that is not mentioned here. Dripping water. It says, the possession started with strange sounds like dripping water that no one could place. That's the information that I have researched. Okay. Oh, come on. This is the old horror genre, the old happy family, nothing's wrong routine with the giggling and the tickling and the asking for a horse and... That's usually how it starts. That's right. We want to set it up as innocent as possible. Oh, let me get that eyelash off her face. Oh, so sensitive, so genuine, so close their relationship is. Oh, shaking bed. What are you talking about? You're crazy. Just go to sleep, honey. Such a liar. Yeah, (laughs) shaking bed. How do I get her to stop lying about the shaking bed? Mm, That's not true. So we have an upper middle class family. The mother is an actress. Who is starring in this, what, like, student protest movie? Yeah, we don't know too many details about the movie, but she is stepping in to grab the megaphone and trumpeting some sort of inspirational speech to a bunch of young people. Right? She has some some sort of relationship with the director. 
Burke. So we don't really she's, we don't uh, really know what that is. That relationship. She's doing something with his penis. Penis. There we go. <laughs> right. We don't know about it, but uh, Reagan has definitely picked up on it. Yes, she mm-hmm. has. She mentions, "Oh, are you going to go to dinner? Are you going to bring him by? Is he going to be my new daddy?" Which means that we also know that uh, I think through a dramatic phone call between Chris and the ex-husband that the dad is out of the picture. He's gone. Is that the phone call that she loses her shit on? That's when she gets pissed off that she's been trying to get through to her husband. She keeps getting the runaround. Right. She spazzes on the phone. And that's what I was saying earlier about it sets the precedent for her emotional instability and that she's very quick to freak out. I mean, she's a woman, right? Am I right? (laughs) That's right. What can we really expect from her? (laughs) Uh, my Twitter feed is at I hate horror. If you'd like to point your He's thinking of negativity directly at, at me, I hate women. It's uh, <laughs> going to be Nathan's new handle. Uh. No, but what we so there's the things that we hear in the attic. There's the mom being away all the time. There is Reagan dealing with her parents being separated, and this has sort of started in a sort of depression. She hangs out at home all day with the nanny, a young woman. Whom which she, you know, gets along with okay, but she's really most of the time down in the basement doing like weird little artwork at her art station and then playing with the Ouija board. Oh, this is where things get interesting. So the we Ouija have, board. Yes, yeah, so we have a couple of things building up. We have some some trauma. It's really, it's really sad. She she picks up the ping pong paddle and the ping pong ball and like just puts it down right away, like, yeah, no one plays ping pong with me. <laughs> no one will play ping pong with me. Nope. I have in here before she steals the cookie or she's going to eat the cookie. That's the tickling. Yes. Yeah, but the mom says, you'll be sorry for stealing a cookie. Oh, boy, will she ever be sorry. Yeah. Oh, God. And tackles her to the ground. Punishment. This is, Daniel, this is all punishment for stealing a cookie. This is definitely a three. Hey, masterpiece. And then they get the Ouija board. She's playing evil games. She's stealing cookies. She's asking She's for it. She's asking. She's asking for it. Oh, my goodness. She's recognizing some sort of subtle affair with her mother and her mother's director. And she's condoning it. And Ugh. condoning it. You're right. Very she, important point. You know what? She deserved everything right? that she got. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm coming. I'm coming more to your side. There we right go. Now. Okay. But do you know who she's contacting through the Ouija board? Her aunt? Captain Howdy. Oh, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> this is the bullshit that went on earlier via text message. Captain Howdy is the spiritual inlet that she makes contact with via the Ouija board in this movie. It comes up again later when she's interacting with that hypnotherapist. This is so this is so here's how we have it. We have the evil force settling down on the house. We have a depressed young girl pretending that she isn't depressed, left alone a lot of the day, open to meddling with dark magic, slips into it. Now the outlet is open, and now in come the spirits, the Legion. And again, this is all book knowledge, privy to people who have read the book, understanding how Legions are gaining access through open inlets by uh, depressed girls that are hiding their depression because they didn't get horses bought for them. 
and uh, evil presences need to depress down on the house before you need to use a Ouija board to open up the channel, the gate to the netherworld in which all the legions can come through. I don't know where all these fucking details come from. All I saw was her playing around with a Ouija board and her mom going, <laughs> and then shit came down. That's all I saw. Yeah, or not not reacting nearly scared enough to the little like viewfinder being pulled away from her hands. Yeah, that uh, was quite the thing. And then nothing happened afterwards. I would have had a heart attack. Right? But it's there. Those parts aren't from the book. It's there. Those things are there. They don't have to explain why or how. No, no you're, you're missing the point of what I just said. The point I just said was about you talking about the uh, evil presence coming down in the house. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. And then the use of the Ouija board opening up a channel or opening up this thing that allows the legions to come through. Like that that whole description of, of how the evil is intensifying or being permitted to enter the house. I wouldn't exactly say that that's definitively being explained or presented in any way. Right. And that's say that you're you're jumping to conclusions with the help of your privy knowledge about the novel. Though that's what I'm here to do is to provide a deeper understanding. Nathan, thank you for setting me up for that. Um, perfect transition into asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not letting you get away with shit in this movie, all right? That's fine. That's good. That's good. Now, here's the first fork in the road. Here's the first part where you and Intern will have seen something different. Oh, due to the different versions. Okay. So it is actually before, because the first part, Nathan, in the original version, that Reagan really shows us something shocking about her being, there's something wrong with her. What part is it for you? Uh, when she comes downstairs during the party that's going on that her mother is hosting. And does uh, this? And You're gonna she... die up there. Oh, yeah. That part? Sewed on that? Yeah, yeah, 40, 40 minutes in when she comes down and just everybody's like, oh, hey, what, what's up, little girl? And she says, you're gonna die up there. And then starts and peeing on the fucking floor. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's what this movie is really fucking good at, is taking a normal, very rich scene that is full of just, you know, well-acted banter back and forth and interrupting it with horrifying intensity. Yeah. It amps it up big time. And when you try to transplant yourself, and I know we're supposed to look at this movie objectively like it's not what it was, but when you go back in time to 1973, that's a, I mean, the effect that that has on me sitting here watching it on my monitor on Netflix is probably what, what would you say? What would be fair? Like 10% of what happened to people in a fucking theater? Oh, right. Yeah. Like in 1973, that would have been like, what? Like stunned like shocked Mm -hmm. like slap your face be quiet oh my god like whoa tone change shift right complete shift absolutely and for me when that happened i uh, leaned in (laughs) with full interest on pretty much everything else that was to come like this was the the scene for me that really pulled me into the movie there's beats that happen in this movie where and the sound and the direction and everybody involved coming together to just snap that attention back to mm-hmm. you again. There's there's other beats that happen. 
And it's not necessarily the blah, blah parts. It's it's specific incidences that I think are happening, and I will I will get to the next one. But this is the first one where mm. it snaps you to attention and creates that beat. But the the difference in the two versions is that before, like in the original, the first shocking scene that we get with Reagan is the her urinating on the floor. In the extended cut, there's actually a part where she goes to get psychiatric evaluation before that. Oh, this is where I have the line when the doctor says she's got a smart mouth. Yes, she has a smart she's, mouth. She's inappropriate. And then the mom's asking, what uh, well, What did she say specifically? What did she say? What did she say? And she said, the doctor tells us that she said, keep your hands away from my goddamn cunt yes <laughs> yes nathan in the, before she has the urinating scene the mother it's played up a little bit more with like various tiny deleted scenes that reagan is depressed and so her mom takes her to get a little psych evaluation and while she's there she starts to have very strange behavioral episodes that actually play up pretty well like the scenes they include in the extended cut Make the movie a little bit too long. The pacing is thrown off a bit, but the scenes that you see are still great. Like she's cursing very strangely and acting very aggressive towards people that are trying to take her blood and, and give her tests. And she's zoning out and having flash images of demonic faces. Like it's it as well is worth seeing. Fair enough, but I think that the original... Uh, beat that I'm speaking of is very intense and I don't see that leading into that and taking away from that is a positive thing which is why I I don't feel like when I was watching it I I didn't have moments I don't know well because that like this because that, like... that that would speak to the depression part of it right like right leading you towards the depression and then confusing you with possession rather than just like whoa what happened to me with whoa what the fuck is going on mm -hmm. well, i guess yeah there would be a little bit of lead up to that it was still shocking her coming down and you know just pissing on the floor absolutely it would still be um, shocking either way like even with the the other thing too is that for for that great line it wasn't her that was saying it it was the doctor talking to the mom right yeah oh, she, so you don't actually get to see her say that no no so you get to does the mother react with a you're a liar kind of thing? No, she actually laughs. Laughs. Oh, like it, it's so my shocking. My daughter said that? Well, like, oh. You know what, though? It's like when kids swear. I will say time. that my my older self now is finding humor in some of these moments as well. I mean, the peeing scene is shocking and it creates that beat, but it's also fucking hilarious. Yeah. As well. Because all these people are just everyone's reaction fun is so playing great. the piano and just like <laughs> yeah. just like you're gonna die up there. I'm sorry, what? Pissing yes. on the floor? Oh my god! Like if you if you if you take a step back, it's actually kind of if if you were just a fly on the wall, you'd be like, whoa. Oh yeah, one of the one of the priests. Cause she because she has to you know she has to stand up from her her kneeled down position and be like. My daughter just said this to this man and just peed on the floor. Like, this changes her whole evening. <laughs> uh, she hasn't been feeling well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She has to. Yes, yeah. Yes. She has to say. She has to say. Yeah. Oh, she hasn't been feeling well lately. Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a priest that's standing there. Not one of the main character priests, but just a random priest who kind of like 
looks over his shoulder as she leads Reagan out of the room and looks to the rest of them like, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, poor parenting. Right. And do we, from here, do we go into her intense uh, physical exams or do we get a little taste of Father Karras? I have Father Karras having a trippy dream about his uh, mother, which includes that iconic face that flashes in the in in the dream. That is, I, I believe it's quite often referenced with The Exorcist, the face that flashes mm-hmm. very quickly. That's the cover that I put on the Twitter post. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That face. Yeah, yeah the demonic yeah. face. Yeah. Yes, it is, and we do get a taste of Father Karras. Father Karras is a priest. He's uh, well, right, r- right before this. Um, he's he with his mother. Had, yeah, he had lost his faith. He was speaking to someone saying that he had lost his faith. He got a little bit snappy when he went to go visit his mom, and all the people in that institute were trying to paw him. He was kind of very unpriest-like with his dismissal of them and very unsettled by the fact that his mother was in this place. And it was his uncle, right, that he was talking to? Yes, yeah. His mother had been trying to live alone, but she has this terrible leg injury, and he doesn't want to put her in a home. But eventually his uncle forcefully puts her in there and he has to go visit her while she's in there so he's pissed that she's there she he's pissed at his uncle his uncle's kind of a sleaze bag well he doesn't have the money daniel exactly he doesn't have the money to put her anywhere else it's it's a tough spot he doesn't and he's ang- he's already angry at god so now he's even angrier mm-hmm. and his and, mom's really angry with him oh yeah. big time <laughs> and his his uncle is also like you know you could have been a big psychiatrist you could have lived on on in manhattan and had a had a loft for your mom or whatever. Like, this is not necessary. But you know what? You didn't. You became a priest. And here we are. This is reality. And you're a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, he, he reminds me of Rocky's friend. <laughs> Polly? Yeah. That's not his friend. Uh, that's that, that's the girl he wants his brother. There you go. He's like friend of me. Yeah. It's his, it's his tag along have to because he's related. Mm-hmm. This is the same sort of thing. Yep. And then we get Reagan at the hospital getting an angiograph. And here's 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 a big point that I want to stop and talk about. There are very few truly uncomfortable notes that you can hit in film or in storytelling for that matter. Like there's making people happy and joyous and emotional, there's there's making people sad and there's making people scared and uncomfortable. And those very few places you could do that. One is extreme, like, physical discomfort. And terrifying, weird medical examinations play right into that fear perfectly. The other one, even for people that aren't religious, is religious supernatural themes. True evil, true God power, good versus evil. And this movie takes both those things and puts them together. And... To me, whose who's who's authority states that those two things are the most terrifying? They just are. No, what I'm asking is for like a credible source that says that these things are that to you or that to the general populace. This is this is the 100 lunatics authority. This oh. is years <laughs> of research and observation determining that there are very few things that are actually to the bone scary, and there's. Maybe a handful, and this movie takes two of the most powerful ones and brings them together. That's why The Exorcist is so effective. No, I, I feel like this is unfair trumpeting. I feel like this is uh, parading for the three. I don't appreciate this at all. 
This you is know, like, hey, let's take an intermission and just talk about how The Exorcist touches on the two most important things for fear and scaring people. I don't, I'm not an authority on, on what scares a person. It's a very individual experience. I can't say that religious stuff bothers me at all because I don't believe in it. No, so I don't, don't either. So I don't think that that is one of the two top things. Right. I that, don't think I, I don't think you can actually generalize it like that. I don't think that's fair. I think that's that's unfairly applauding the exorcist and setting it up for a three. And I'm all about the two tonight, Daniel. Aren't you tired of being such a pain in the ass, you little <laughs> shit? <laughs> Told you I'm gonna Ugh. fight you. I'm gonna fight you. <laughs> We're I have fight. I have uh, feedback here. Okay, all right. I wasn't let's, scared. Let's let toilet water step in <laughs> at any point in this movie, and that doesn't deter me from saying that it's a three, <laughs> because I wasn't scared. So there's different things. I've only been scared by a movie a couple times where it was the movie itself scaring me. Okay, so what you're saying is, is that movies. the scaring part of it is not what equates it to a three. Right. It's the quality of the movie itself yeah. that equates it to a three. Okay, well, that would have been the response that Daniel would have liked to give me, I think, instead of playing some audio clip to shame me. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> that's right. what I'm here for. But tell me, like, this is this is the scene that had the biggest impact on audiences. Despite all the religious things that go on in the movie, it's this scene. Her getting the injection how, into her neck. How do you... Oh. The injection scene. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. gross. Yeah, that was fucking gross. Yeah, the blood splattering. I think I texted you about that. Chelsea wouldn't have survived that. Yeah, that's that's, that's intense. That arterial intense. spray. Yeah, the arterial spray. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then the in like the initial injection too that they put in there. There's like a fluid that they put in that goes through her, you know, veins and arteries throughout her brain so that they can check to see if she has any lesions because they expected all her behavioral and. Um, irregularities and sickness are coming from some sort of brain lesion this shit is hilarious to me this whole interplay between the mother having experienced what's actually going on and these doctors, doctors. is just hilarious i <laughs> i i've found this very amusing so that's why i take a bit of a, a position with the whole fear thing because i'm not afraid of this i think it's hilarious that these doctors are like well this is obviously temporal lobe Obviously, this is what's happening. Oh this, yes, this is a, you know when when you break this down, this is obviously what's what's going on, and the mother is like, "No, no. you don't get it." <laughs> like this, like the bed was fucking moving, <laughs> and then she freaks out. Um, yeah, this is the beginning though too, where we start getting the this doesn't happen anymore. This doesn't happen anymore. And we hear this from all the doctors and we end up hearing it from the priests, which is one of the things that I actually really enjoy about this movie because that's what I want to hear yes. when I'm watching this. Cause I don't believe in the religious aspect of everything. And it's kind of what makes it more believable that the priests and the doctors both are like, there's a line that should be coming up, but yeah, you need an exorcism. You should get a time machine and go back to the 1600s. Yes, even the priests like will lead in and be like, "Come on, it's all a bunch of bullshit, really." <laughs> no, the the part that I appreciate, and this is where I will lean closer to the three on this movie, is that it all rides on Father Karras. Father Karras gives uh, humanity to the priest situation. It's very easy 
to put priests up on this god pedestal. It's very difficult to show them as flawed human beings that are struggling with their faith. Mm -hmm. And they show that strictly so that when he comes in contact with the situation, it changes. That's that's the next beat that I have. It has nothing to do with the quotes that they make about how archaic exorcisms are. It has everything to do with Father Karras. Right. But I don't I don't want to jump ahead because the doctors they do a great job of making the doctors, you know, come in strong with a position about about temporal lobes and doing all these tests and trying to find lesions and trying to scientifically equate what's going on or medically equate what's happening. And they fail to do this. They fail so badly that they, you know, they make house calls and they, they look like absolute assholes. But they don't look like assholes because the movie makes them to look like assholes. They look like assholes because they're out of their element. They don't know how to deal with what's happening. They don't know how to conclude or resolve any anything that's happening. They just they just look confused and scared, and they don't know what to do. And that's that comes across very very well. Yeah, it absolutely does. And that is the humorous uh, like levity of of this part of the movie because the the scary part, you know, the quote unquote scary. But I understand that it's not truly scary, but that it is deeply unnerving. Is the physical pain, the penetration of your neck. And the loud noises of the MRI machines. The, the, the humorous part is them being face-to-face with some seemingly spiritual element. And all of a sudden, all the science is for naught. And they even they tell her eventually that she's going to have to go find a witch doctor. Yeah. and that's But speaking to your point about those two things. like I, I will not generalize them as the two epic things that cause fear. But I will say that, yes, like medically... When you when when they did the scene with the needle, they're doing that scene specifically to make you understand how medically serious this is. They're drawing you in by saying this is this is the fucking real deal. Like we're doing real brain scans on this girl. Like like this shit is is getting serious medically. Like they're trying to figure it out. But you know going in that it's called the Exorcist and it's not about medical. So it disassociates yourself from connecting with the whole medical aspect of everything that's happening. So it does provide levity, it does provide humor, and I would argue that people who sat in the theater in 1973 probably weren't taking the medical side of it seriously at all. They were probably just affected by the needle scene, understanding that they were trying to find out what's going on and didn't really get any sort of fear from that aspect of it. So what do we have now? We have the only other outlet they've they've the scientists have actually told her you might want to try investigating a exorcism if only for the power of suggestion yeah, even that's the quote mm-hmm. was, yeah but that but that makes sense though from their perspective right that, and and it was it was delivered well the line and was delivered well it's like whoever such a dick though <laughs> yeah he's laughing the whole such time a dick. he was he was laughing about it well, he's he's not laughing at her. He's laughing at the practice. At the explanation of it. I know. That's the best, like, dick, like arrogant at, doctor part. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not overdone either. He's No, it isn't. But, it, like, if you just... I was thinking from the point of... If I was the smother and this guy said this to me, mm-hmm. I would have slit his throat. <laughs> well, he can't He can't in a room full of, like, 15 other doctors. That's, that's the funny... Seriously? That's the funniest yeah. part about this scene. Is that it's a big a panel? square table filled with like 15 fucking physicians. And he's the one standing up saying, well, 
you could look into this. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, I mean, that adds to it, right? Like, he's he's basically saying, uh, well, they f- they feel that the power of suggestion will, you know, if if they believe that this is happening, then this will create results, and it has created results in the past. And you know, nobody else around the table is saying anything. No, they're they like are does... oblivious they're to all, what's uh, happening. Yes. Try not to be part of that conversation. Yeah, like, I'm going to get out of this room, go back to, you know, taking blood tests and doing what I know what is real, and this fucking shit was crazy, and I'm going to forget about this as soon as I possibly can. Yeah. But we don't get to forget about it for long, because now that... Uh, here we go. We guess we start to get into some of the actual intense, like, possession scenes moving forward now. Um, it is... Is this the part where she gets... They all get brought from a, for a house call, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they give her a lot of drugs. A lot. Like, she's sedated until Monday. You <laughs> should call a priest. <laughs> yes, and it is, it is because, and, and we, we will get, like, a repeat of these scenes going forward in the movie, uh, which I find, every time that I watch it, still strikes me as kind of scary. Which is when you hear the multiple types of voices coming from Reagan's room when the camera is downstairs and you hear like Reagan's innocent discomfort voice and then you hear the demonic voice on top of it and then you hear a combination of the two screaming together overlaying each other. All that is again to the sound quality you spoke of earlier and makes me very uncomfortable. And it is from this that the nanny calls over the doctor and the mother and everyone together to investigate what is happening with Reagan because she's just bouncing around on her bed. And that's our first real moment where the doctor is like, oh, fuck. <laughs> well. And then they bring out a needle to sedate isn't, her isn't while this she's the, like. Is, is, this, is this the Jesus fuck? No, fuck it's Jesus. No. no, it's not that part, but it is the first time where we get where we understand that something very non-medical is happening with Reagan. All right, let's see what Keep away! This hour is mine! Fuck me! Fuck me! Fuck me! Fuck me. That's right. just the part she gets she gets completely possessed at that point. She slaps the doctor in the face who's trying to arrogantly say something about sedating her. And then screams for everyone to fuck her. Yeah, no, my my favorite, or one of my favorite scenes from this movie is the doctors coming out after this whole thing takes place. She's freaking out at the top of the stairs, and the doctor comes out, and, you know, she's, she basically pleads with him, like, what is going on? Like, what is happening with my daughter? And he says, well, we still strongly feel that the temporal lobe (laughs) is the problem. And she says, I forget what she says, but it's like, you know, the translation is, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you still talking about that? Because that's, we're we're fucking beyond that now. Way beyond. They've already given her Ritalin. They're giving her Ritalin in the 1970s. Oh, yeah. It's funny. I ha- thought I had notes on that, too. Ritalin. They're just handing that out. Oh, yeah. we'll just give her some Ritalin. And that didn't work. So then they gave her Thorazine, the opposite end of the spectrum. That doesn't work. But it's still got something to do with that temporal lobe. But <laughs> but no, because because they, they come out and they say, yeah, no, we've sedated her for more than 24 hours. Like, she's gone until tomorrow at some time. 
and you should probably talk to like a psychiatrist at this point because we have no idea what we're what we're doing now. It's yeah. it's time for a shrink. Is is there a solution? Yes, the the bridge for the scientific community between hard science and spirituality, it is the mental or psychological sciences. They're thinking priest, but they're saying shrink. Yes. Right, but this is where Chris, Reagan's mother, comes and finds Father Karras, and she's already been sort of intrigued by Father Karras up until this point. She stops by and watches him argue with a priest in the courtyard when she's coming home from filming one day. She sees him around. He's got that tough boxer's look, a sad sort of look, and she recognizes it, and she comes. That's her first choice to go to when she finally considers that the doctor's advice might be worth it. And what's his reaction? His reaction is sincere and honest and gives her quality information about the reality of what exorcisms are and, and when they took place and how they relate to the church procedure. Yeah, he doesn't know anyone that's even done an exorcist. He's never heard of one his entire priesthood career. But he does feel for her. He understands that she's upset and is it part of his priestly duties that allows him to go and have an interview with Reagan? I believe so, but I also think that she has uh, a meeting with a shrink that hypnotizes her before this happens. Oh, oh, right, right, you're right. I'm speaking to the person inside of Reagan now. If you are there, you too are hypnotized. and must answer all my questions. Come forward. Answer me now. My notes are, someone's inside her sometimes, followed by, demon doesn't feel like talking. <laughs> no, it does not. Uh, no, he grabs, uh, the, the, the demon grabs his penis. Penis. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Boy, does he ever. Yeah, I think that's the, the I, I picture the shrink in this scene saying, okay, get out. <laughs> that's enough of this. <laughs> yep, just packing his bags up. Yeah, you need to go talk to somebody else. I don't want to see you again. Uh, yeah, we're done. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it gets a little bit too close. But all this plays into it. I appreciate that they go from extreme medical care and they step it out into this slightly more esoteric world of mental care. And then now, now that this too has proven beyond their scope of coping, they have landed in the spiritual realm. Well, the story would be different if she was religiously driven to begin with. And she, she maybe wouldn't have waited this long to go this way. But she is vocal earlier in the movie about how she's not religious. Right. So that's why. And it also helps everyone else who is not religious buy into the path. And that is, it, it adds to the credibility for people who don't believe, which helps me appreciate the movie a lot more because it says, like you're saying, it goes medical, it goes mental medical. And then finally, she's, she's, she's at wit's end, so she feels drawn to the priest that has the least pretentious religious aura about him. Yeah, even he himself is still just a bridge to the actual core of the religious community. Yeah, and he's a pained, flawed priest who's, you know, struggling with his faith, 
having drinks with his colleagues and and vocalizing how he feels about his connection with with religion and God. So this is also something that connects to someone that is not really an epic religious person. It says, I, I connect with Father Karras a lot because he chose this life path and now he's struggling with it. And I, for some reason, feel a, a, a really big connection with his character. I really like his character. He does. There, there is a there is a weird depth to him that is more than the other characters have a chance to portray. But he, let's when he goes to interview Reagan on behalf of Reagan's mother, um, he. This is this is the beat. This is the beat when I was talking about earlier how she comes down and pees in front of everybody and it snaps people into focus and. And creates that, you know, next level of intensity. This conversation between him and Regan is the next beat that does that same thing. It changes the tone of of everything that's happening. Because up until this point, everything has been going into chaos. It's been, like you were saying, like medical issues. They're trying to find out. And they don't know. There's confusion. They, you know, you can see it in the doctor's faces. They don't know what's going on. They're struggling. They're sedating her. They don't know what to do. They're scrambling for theories and ideas. And the mother is losing it and slowly gaining less and less control over herself, over this whole situation. The hypnotist was a total, the shrink was a total fucking, you know, joke. Just, it just, you know, ex- exacerbated the problem and made it seem even more helpless. And then he walks into that room and there is a calm that happens. Right. Nate, that calm that was happens gonna... that has not been felt up until this point. Yes, you're exactly. Everyone has, <clears throat> everyone in this movie at this point has bought into Reagan at a three. They are sure that she is possessed. But here's Father Karras at a very reasonable two, willing to interrogate and be cynical or skeptical of what's happening. No. I feel like I, I feel like I was just cheated somehow. <laughs> <laughs> the look on Nathan's face, face is like shock. No. <laughs> just like staring at the microphone, like what the fuck is going on? No, I, I know what he's doing. Yeah, he's trying to say that because I connect with this character, I feel a two, and everyone else connects with the other characters that equal a three. He's trying to segregate me into two land by myself. Yep. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like this at all. Let's just focus on the story, all right? We'll get to the numbers later. Um, so, yes. No, he. but it's, it's true, though. He comes into this room, and there's a calm. Yeah. He knows how to deal with it. He doesn't overreact, or at least he knows how to deal with it better than anyone else that's walked into this room up until this point. And he's asking questions that... You you feel as an audience member very confident about his ability to handle the situation after after having to watch all these assholes come before him and not know what they're doing, right? And there are some weird things that that do happen, and he but he still keeps his cool during those things, like right here when she pushes the drawer out when he sits down to interrogate her. Did you do that? Uh... <sighs> <laughs> you do that again? Did you do that? So playful that demon. He's uh he asks the demon to do it again. That was the next And does the demon do it? No. Distracts him. Maybe later. Maybe later. He distracts him. He gives him a little bit of Latin. There's something there's 
the interesting part of this scene is one that Father Karras has the nerve and the wherewithal to be skeptical and intelligent about interrogating Reagan or whatever is inside of Reagan, but also that whatever is inside of Reagan is smart enough to know that that's what's happening and toys with the situation. Like, the demon knows Father Karras is there under skeptical circumstances, so the demon gives him things like a little bit of Latin, which makes him turn the recorder on. Like, here you go, here's one of the things the church needs in order to prove this is legitimate, is the victim speaking a language they shouldn't know. And then when he wants him to speak more Latin, the demon pretends to not know anymore and moves on to French and little easy French things that any girl might have read in a book somewhere about horses. It's all playing into itself. It's crafty. It's clever. I like it. Well, when does Father Karras learn that the demon that's inside of her is claiming to be the devil itself? That's right now. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Yes. That happens right now? I think he asks who it is, but already there's a a we connotation that goes along with this confession. There's a we. There's more than just us. Mm. But he think he does say, I'm the devil, which is one of the things that makes Father Karras think it's bullshit. Like, this is what schizophrenics think. They don't ever think I'm a specific devil. They think I'm the devil or the god. I thought it happened later when they visited for the second time. Oh. Because she was tied up and uh, she announces herself as the devil and he says, well, if you're the devil, then you should be able to remove yourself from these restraints or whatever the wording verbiage was. That'd be much too vulgar a display of power. Right. Yeah, exactly. And just speaking, I mean, the reason why I bring it up is because you're talking about the craftiness, you know, and demons on the level of, of devil itself, like the kingpin of the evil underworld. Yeah, they should be amused. They should be finding pleasure and being crafty and and toying with people and engaging in the conversation in that manner. They should just get off on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause just just like you're talking earlier about Peter Stormar being a great devil representation in movies. And that's because that's because he is playful and that's because he is sadistic and, and odd and not straight up, you know, superior omniscient evil. That's not, that's not as creepy. That's not as unsettling. And there's there's a push forward here. I can't remember if it's... Um, I know that in the meantime, we have some little tiny aspects or details that have been spotted on to this film in the extended version as opposed to the original version. Like, the thing that you won't get in the original version, Nathan, is the little... that, that, that demon face, that iconic demon face that we see in Blink sometimes, that movie in the, or, the, or that image in the extended version is peppered throughout the film. Like when we see the mother walking through the kitchen in certain scenes, we get a flash image, just a fraction of a second, where it pops up on the stove hood or on the ceiling. When she enters a door, we get an outline of the face of the sculpture that Father Marin holds the, at the beginning of the movie. Those little things like that are peppered throughout the entire film to add little like heartbeat moments. Mm. See, I, that, that's why I would think, like, wouldn't the original be seen as more of the three and the extended version be seen more as the two if they have to pander to the audience that way? It's unnecessary. It's, it's, uh, 
it's overdoing it. You should probably watch it. I also have issues with Daniel not remembering okay. what happens next in a movie he's seen 200 times. I'm I'm asking for someone else's voice to pop 200. in. 200. Let's let's delete the zero and delete the other zero and what are you left with? Uh how many times I've seen the movie? Two? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it twice too. I guess I don't really remember there's a lot of talking about time. two here. I think we should just settle on two. So. <laughs> I've seen it four recently. <laughs> well, there's, hey, that's off the scale. <laughs> that's not even relatable. Hey, maybe you should put a bunch of faces and flash faces maybe. throughout your entire conversation of four, and then maybe we can change the scale. Maybe I'll watch the original, and then I'll have seen it three times. Maybe we can overdo it. We could settle on that. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> No, the the original is the, is the one I saw first. It's the one I knew for years and years and years. The extended version didn't come out until 2000 or 1999, right on the cusp there. So that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Is that unprecedented or is that something that happens? I that's I don't know that to go back to with all the footage that existed and recut an extended version. What is that? Yeah, I think that is that's that's, that's not normal unless you're Lucas. Twenty-seven or twenty-six years after the fact—that's crazy. Yeah, I think the only reason they had the motivation to do it was because they were going to release the movie in theaters anyways for an anniversary. But oh. because in the seventies when they cut this film, the only argument the writer and director ever got into was between which cut to make the official cut. And the director, Friedkin, eventually said, I have the authority. I'm choosing mine. Audiences are better prepared for a two-hour movie as opposed to a two-hour and 20-minute movie. I agree with him. Yes. I think that he made the right choice. And then when they had a chance to release it for a second option, uh, I guess, you know, they were like, why don't, we, why don't we make the version you wanted and we'll include that as like a nice little bonus gift on the anniversary. And that's what they did. Well, that must have been 25th anniversary then. 25th anniversary for the theater release ended up being 26th and a 26th year for the DVD release, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But fair enough. I thought fair that enough. I thought that was nice too. That means the author eventually gets to see what his the reaction to the version he always wanted. The reaction to the extended version is still positive, even though people, you're right, do give the three to the original. If you've seen the original and you love it or even like it a lot. The extended version is just more of a, wow, this is how it could have been. And these do make it longer and change the pace, but they're not bad. They're not forcefully put in there. They're still good scenes. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to take a moment and uh, sound off some sort of alarm at this point. Uh, because Daniel has just engaged in master manipulation. Um, <laughs> what he has done is taken things that I have said and turned them back around me to reaffirm the three and I just wanted to bring light to it. He said, just as you were saying, the original should be viewed as a three. That is him taking what I have said and reaffirming it back to me to try and position me for a three later on. He's trying to exercise the two out of you. Oh. <laughs> it was master manipulation at work. I just want to point it out. Okay. Oh, for fuck's sake. I give up. <laughs> Uh, it kind of worked on me a little bit too, so I feel offended by it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, son of a bitch, why did I say that? Because it made sense to in the moment. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Okay, let's move, <clears throat> let's move forward. We have someone very, well, not super important, but we have someone that dies coming up. Do we know who it is that dies? 
Yeah, the director of the film. The director. Yeah, the director of the film that Chris is the main actress of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that involves Lieutenant Kinderman. What's his, what's his nuts? Kinderman. Lieutenant Kinderman. So basically the basic package is who is who is the woman? Is that a caretaker or a babysitter? Like who is that woman? Yes, there is a there is a maid, a butler, and a nanny. Okay, so the nanny leaves and gets the director to sub in for her while she goes off to do whatever she wants to do and to this pick, guy up, ends pick up pick up medicine for yeah. Reagan. For Reagan, right. And oh, so it was it was it was good natured. Yes. And director guy ends up getting murdered in a very peculiar way, which causes a lot of confusion. Because how does this guy end up at the bottom of the stairs? And his head is twisted with his around head backwards. twisted around backwards. It's really confusing because she's a small girl and it doesn't make sense. Right. Right. And Chris comes home like the, the Burke has been thrown to his death already. Chris comes home. She has no idea that he's dead, and she gets news from like a friend or an assistant director, whoever whoever that guy is that shows up to let her know that Burke has been killed by falling down these stairs right outside of her house. She reacts very emotionally. Do you think she knows at that moment that Reagan probably did it? Do we think we know that Reagan did it? No, I don't think. Do you think she thinks that? I think that she is curious about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And this is also. I I don't think she's decided in any way that this is something that's for sure. But I think it's definitely something that's in her mind as a possibility that some some sort of foul play went on. She's seen what how crazy Regan has become. She's definitely has that as a possibility. Absolutely. Yes, and this is a this is another or the really only the other big uh, deviation between the original cut and the director's cut because mostly it's tiny details like the imagery that we talked about, and the two big changes between the two versions are the added psychiatry clinic scenes and then this very big scene crab walk crab walk yes mm. it was entertaining didn't crab see walk. it i watched the original i enjoyed it that's right the reason that it wasn't included by the director in the first place was that he thought it was too much too much like demonic exposure too early i agree with that what do you think andrew i think that uh it was uh, one of the more creepy scenes, and it wasn't the actual walk. It was the blood coming out of her mouth. Yeah. When she was, like, doing the crab walk. But, like, I feel like her face was creepier than the crab walk. Sure. Yeah, why but, not? That's a, that's a subjective thing. But, Nathan, that's the part. For you, she hears the news about Burke's death. She bangs against the wall and cries out in horror. The guy that told her the news leaves. They move on to the next scene. In the extended cut, as the guy leaves... She cries about Burke's death and then looks in horror to the stairwell as Reagan comes crawling down the stairs with her stomach to the ceiling on her hands and feet like a crab in a very gross, awkward way and then is spewing blood and screaming out of her open mouth as she walks okay. down the stairs. So, so, one of the things- so that, confir- that, that scene is in place then to confirm her mother's suspicions about what happened and what didn't happen. I think so. Okay. The other thing that this scene does is it pulls her out from being like upset about her new new daddy's death, her new husband's death, and brings her right back into no, my daughter's fucked up, 
this is the most important thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, sure. uh, it, it brings her right back into, holy fuck, I need to work on it. We need, we need to figure this out. Yes, absolutely. And then is it okay, just... Okay, but, but it also takes away from the original in terms of... In the original, it plays like she doesn't know what happened. And a lot of the investigating that the lieutenant is doing plays very well because they don't know what really happened. I, I would I would argue that the crab walk giving certainty to the mother about what happened takes away from the lieutenants. I don't think the mother's thinking about it anymore after the crab walk. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Your misunderstanding is that the crab walk gives certainty to the mother. Okay. And that certainty from an audience perspective takes away from what the lieutenant is doing. Because I really enjoyed the lieutenant. I don't know if you guys enjoyed him. I did. He he had a great, relaxed, like investigative uh, strategy. Yes, or, but also or, like a shady tone that fit with the film. Yeah, but he is very comfortable in how he approached his investigative techniques, and he just like when he talked to Father Karras. Just he's, wanted to take him to a movie. Yeah, he's he's very. <laughs> yeah, I like I like him. I think he would work really well in some old school detective movie. I think he would be awesome in that role because he's very he's very good with 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 the lines that are given to him. He he really has a casual approach and I I really appreciated the lieutenant character for some reason. I just thought he was awesome the way he delivered his performance. So, I would argue that the crab walk giving certainty to the mother takes away from the audience's appreciation of some of the other aspects because without the crab walk, you kind of feel like she comes to the conclusion when you do like, like you have certainty over the fact that Regan killed this guy because you don't know without the crab walk. You don't know. All they have is the, is the detective saying this guy fell down the stairs and he was drunk and they leave it like that. And they don't really tell you that his head was turned around on his body until the end of the scene with the lieutenant and, and Father Karras. And Father Karras. And at that point, you're like, oh, shit, Regan is responsible. But even then, it's a suspicion. And it feels like your suspicion is reciprocated by the mother until she comes to the realization or she comes to the point where she says, yeah, she murdered that guy and you're willing to accept it at that point. And it just has this consistency and this quality to it that I think is is maybe... And, and and this speaks to the whole comment you're making, Daniel, where you were trying to manipulate me, is that the mm-hmm. original is, is closer to a three because it doesn't try to force feed you the information. A lot of movies make the mistake of trying to shove shit down your throat, and that's probably why they meant to keep it out. I feel the I feel bad for the actress that did the crab walk because she <laughs> had to well do it, yeah. She did it in nineteen seventy three or seventy two or whenever they filmed it. And then doesn't even get to see it in the theater or get any recognition (laughs) for 25 years. Yeah. She's like, she did all this work and it was like this crazy fucked up scene. She tells all their friends and they just, they cut it. Yeah. And then 25 years later, they probably get together and. That was a great crab walk. I mean, who was (laughs) it? Was she even alive? That would be tragic. Uh, that yeah, I'd have to look into that. But here, here's the thing between the two versions, which is that if if I was in 1973 and someone I was looking on paper the two different versions, I would agree with the director hands down his version. Seeing it portrayed after the fact, uh, it's sort of a wash. I might still lean towards the original, but it's nowhere near all the issues that you have with it, Nathan. I don't think you would have them if you actually saw it. 
they seem more heavy-handed on paper than they do in portrayal. Hmm. But you're right. It is a little bit too much too soon because the the real thing that puts everything into context for the mother without including the spider walk is, or the crab walk, is the neck-turning crucifix scene. Mm-hmm. That's in the original. Yes. You know what I'm talking about. Lieutenant Kinderman has been walking around investigating people. He knows something's weird. He's just not sure what it is. He takes his schmooze over to Chris's house. He has a little, like, uh, if, if you like Kinderman, then you must have liked that scene as well, where she obviously wants him to leave, and he's not even drinking the coffee that he's been offered, and when she asks him if he wants another cup, he's like, yeah. <laughs> and she's he, he, fucking He handles himself irritated. very well, though. Yeah, but she's so mad that she has to make that second drink. It was obviously a formality, and she wanted him not to take it, and he took it. And then he wanted her to give him an autograph when it was time for him to leave after he's already noticed that one of Reagan's clay animal figurines that he found at the bottom of the stairs next to the dead body is also on the windowsill in Chris's house. He wants an autograph from her and he tries to lie and say it's for his daughter and he can't even think of a fake daughter name to give her when she asks who it is and he has to admit that it's just for him. (laughs) He's got a great little laugh there too. But even then, I feel like he's very well aware of what he's doing. That, yes, he's, he, he already communicates to Father Karras that he's a big movie buff, and that's fine. But he's also, I think, using the situation to appraise what's going on. He's not necessarily a diehard fan that wants a, an autograph. He's just... I, I don't know. I, I really like the lieutenant. I think he's he's got more going on there. He's not just a geeky fan i think he's he's you know playing into her you know nervous energy and everything and trying to drink in everything he can he's investigating he's trying to drink in all the details that he can her reaction to him everything that's happening yeah he's he's a quintessential detective he throughout just through the few lines in this movie that he has they show that he's the kind of guy that asks questions only to things he already knows the answers to like when he asks the priest uh, father Karras, about his advice on the supernatural and witchcraft he gets the priest to expose that he's written a paper on it and he goes yeah i know i've already read it like he's he's always manipulating the conversation yeah i feel yeah that, that's what i was picking up on was that he was in greater control of what was happening than you know and i, I don't know i think that played really well to the audience no matter what and for that, that's that's talent. That's well. That that that's good writing. That's good direction. That's good acting. That's the whole package coming together for an for a scene like that where there's so much being said that's unspoken. That is a tribute to the actors involved. For Ellen Burstyn and that fellow, uh, his name's Lee J. Cobb. You know, he died two years after this movie. He did. Yeah, they have a they have a different actor pick up his part in uh, Exorcist Three. That's a shame. I, because you, he was really good. It is a shame, but you might like it regardless. You're asking me to watch Exorcist something else? We'll get to it one day. Okay. Well, that <laughs> wheel better land on sequels first. But we, here's another. Here's a good place to mention another thing that I like about this movie that has been happening since the very beginning, which is, Nathan, I know that you're a fan of slow zoom. <laughs> um, I myself am a fan of, like, 
really organic camera movement. Like I'm, I'm not so much on the static scene tripod and I'm not so much on the found footage sort of thing either. What I want is like a nice track set up where we go into a room with a character, something happens, we naturally back out of that room with the character and into a different room. That's happening all throughout this movie. The camera is never still, but it is never so uh, frenetic that it's distracting, but it's always slightly moving or following someone, and it gives this foreboding like doomsday sort of feeling throughout the whole thing. And that's what another thing, the sound is playing into it. The cinematography is playing into it. The acting, the writing, everything, the themes, everything is all playing towards this nexus of a three. Nexus of a three. <laughs> I feel, I feel like you're like extended version, shoving it down my throat. <laughs> And that's that's the re- if I am to lean towards three, it's because the original version doesn't do that, because it doesn't shove it down your throat. It's it's careful about how it treats things, and that's something that can't be said about pretty much every other movie in the horror genre. So this movie that that banner flies high over the genre. None of them apparently have watched this movie or taken into account anything that made it successful, because it's careful. It's careful and very. Uh, it just it just it builds it 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 puts everything slowly into place, and it executes and it changes the tone at specific moments and it just this this movie executes it fucking executes it executes that's your most important factor for a movie. Yeah, and you know what? I am leaning towards three right now, only because I do think that this movie, if you break it down scene by scene, it is quality. And if I told you from the onset of this podcast that I had already intended to move towards three and I just wanted to make it interesting because you guys are such pandering, masturbatory assholes about Mm -hmm. this fucking movie, that you need a little bit of color to change the situation. Oh, what is all this? <laughs> but I don't want to hear any of this bullshit about how the extended version force feeding you shit makes it better because it doesn't. No, not better, just different. Less, less is more. Um. So without the spider walk to speed us too quickly into the whole demonic world, we have Chris's friend leaving with the bad news, fading out to black. Uh, the house now has become an isolated environment on its own they are now trapped to this thing the director is dead chris has no movie to work on something is fucked up with reagan everyone is on house arrest sort of and then we have reagan screaming and freaking out from her room everyone rushing up there to see what's happening and chris the mother walking in on one of the most famous scenes of the exorcist uh Reagan has gotten a hold of a crucifix. What's happening? What's happening here? Intern. What is happening here? Crucifix. What's she doing with the crucifix? Oh, she's stabbing herself. Where is she stabbing herself? In, uh, according to her, her cunt. In her cunt. Let Jesus fuck you. Fuck you! Let Jesus fuck you! Oh, you can hear it. You can hear the... That's not a, that's not a pleasure. That's not a vibrating pleasure sound. No, that is one of the most... That's an abuse the vagina sound. 
or the most blasphemic things I can think of. Yeah, is that a word? Yes, if you were trying to piss off someone that was religious, could you think of anything more gruesome and sacrilegious to show them than a 12-year-old girl stabbing herself in the pussy with a crucifix? That's why Father Karras is such a strong character in this movie. And that's why he is it's so important that he was casted correctly and that it was performed correctly. Because if you're going to save those religious people from walking out of the theater, he's the reason. Absolutely. Because he is the hero. He is the religious hero. He's the one that brought calm to the whole situation that that religious person in the audience connected with and felt comfortable with what they were seeing instead of feeling, you know, very discomforting. And in your case, brought the non-religious mm-hmm. person in to feel comfort well, and safety. Th- there's some people that you're just not going to save in this situation. Like Daniel's saying, like, this mm-hmm. is the end of the road for some people, I think. Like, I picture my mother in 1973 watching this movie, and I don't think she did. And I didn't bother asking her. <laughs> right. <laughs> because <laughs> that would have been a point. Well, she probably would have left earlier. She's a very highly sensitive person and very religious as well. And this is the kind of thing where if she had made it this far, if she had somehow made it this far in the movie, that would be it. she would have walked out at this point. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that this scene is what would have brought a close to her experience. The mom that I know now, anyway, Mm -hmm. I don't know my my mom in 1973. I don't know who she was or or how she would have interpreted this, but I know that my mother now wouldn't have made it this far, but if she did, this would have been the end of the road. And it, and it carries over my 2015 internet video riddled brain still sees this scene as shocking. Oh, it is shocking. This is shocking. You can't deny that. This this day and age, dude, where people fucking freak out on Twitter and social media each other and stand on soapboxes and get ridiculous, this kind of thing would be unacceptable. Right. And can you, mm-hmm. a, after after the, the mother tries to take the crucifix out of Reagan's hand, uh, Reagan s- sits up on her knees and pushes her mom's face into her bloody pussy. And I want, can oh you... Oh, my God. Can you hear the actual slurping sounds in this clip? Listen closely. Lick me! Lick me! It's like... It's like a squishy licky... One more time, one more time. Lick me! Lick me! Yeah, this was the clincher for the Oscar for sound right there. Right there? <laughs> what is going on? Uh, hey, <laughs> you don't get nominated and win Oscars back-to-back for sound for no reason. Right? Right? <laughs> hey, it's disgusting, right? This is meant to be shocking. This is a meant to... It is. It, but it's, again, it's like what I was saying before. Okay, she comes down, she pees, beat change, intensity change. Oh, my fucking God, we're dealing with real fucking shit here. And then it keeps going, keeps going, keeps developing intensity and developing intensity. They don't know how to deal with it. Boom. Father Karras changes the the tone again, calms things down. Now they got to take it to another level. And this is that level. And this is them building that. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is. But this, I mean, the beat doesn't change for me in my whole beat theory mm-hmm. that I'm bringing. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't a beat. This is just them reestablishing 
Amping the other up. side of it. No, yeah, the, okay. it's a it's a final escalation, and it's all done so well with all the random objects in the room flying all over the place, furniture being dragged across the room, her stabbing herself with the crucifix, shoving her mom's face into her bloody pussy, throwing her mom to the ground, closing the door off, and really terrifying her mom. All this plays out so well, and Nathan. Friedkin is doing something in this movie that I don't think is technically allowed anymore, but it is something that I feel, personally, is crucial to making a really impactful horror film, which is that you do guerrilla directing. You give your actors the wrong cues so that when you scare them with a loud noise, you truly scare them. You shoot off guns on set without warning to get impact reactions from people. You... You're talking like SAG union regulations? Yes. Friedkin is put in place? Friedkin is doing all this stuff throughout this movie. He is purposely terrifying his actors to their own dismay. A lot of them do not like him to this day because he like did crazy shit to them, like shot guns off behind their head and crazy shit you, like I, that. I bet you Burston wasn't one of them. Maybe, yeah, probably not. I th- I don't think Karis, Jason Miller, I don't think he likes Friedkin because of a lot of these tactics, because he's more of a stage actor type. But he was doing this, and I feel like that's necessary for movies like this. Well, there's there's the kind of actor that would respond to that experience and say, wow, like, we just we just went somewhere together. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's, and there's the actor that will respond to that with, why, the why, did, you just, that? why did you just do that to me? Yeah. You know, and there's there's a really fine line, and I don't think that Burston's one of those. If anyone who's seen Requiem for a Dream, holy shit, yeah, and and The Exorcist will say, wow, like Ellen Burston is probably the kind of actress that would have said, look what we just did together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I in that in this scene where she gets her face shoved down there and she gets smacked in the face and and thrown to the ground, I think she bruised or broke her coccyx because they had a a rope rigging that pulled her to the ground really fast and they just include all that pain in the scene and everything so like these are the type of things you could get away with back then that you can't anymore so it's it's testament to say can a movie like this even be made today no absolutely not and if it if it was made it would have a whole bunch of social media soapbox nonsense that followed it and it would be downcast by all the important people that want to take offense to it and it would be a big it it, it would the news stories would would take away whatever it was trying to achieve and that's not that's not the point i mean i'll make one statement here before we move on on the on on the walkthrough that i think is a very clear way of defining this and that's that the motion picture agreement that was in place for censorship leading up to 1968 i believe when that shit dropped, when they finally said this is bullshit, it was free reign. <laughs> and the 70s are a very special time they where they are. did a lot of crazy shit and got away with a lot of crazy shit and made a lot of great steps forward. And I don't think they really reined that in until the you know mid to late 80s when they was like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, what the fuck are we doing? Let's start putting rules on this, and the cycle continued again. And right now we're in a uh, a very censored 
time frame. Yeah, somewhere in like 87, they were like, what do you mean we can't kill animals on screen anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's a very weird place right now because the censorship has been desensitized to the point where everyone out there in the world is so desensitized and can go on the internet and watch any fucked up shit they want to. But at the same time, everyone else is standing on soapboxes and being offended at whatever comes their way that has a slight you know, offensive trait to it. So it's it's a very bizarre world we live in right now where it's a censored, anti-censored, like tightrope act that's going on right now. So now that here here's the we're on a strict decline now. We are going in for the finish, the long finish. This whole third act is a finish. It is all the exorcism of Reagan McNeil. Um, Father Karras is on board. He's been investigating this case the entire time. He's been uh, gathering evidence, which he presents to the church. She can speak um, fluently in backwards English. That, when I was a child, that was one of the scenes that to this day I carry with me. When it's Father Karras in his, like, little ramshackle dormitory listening to these tapes, trying to figure out what it is. And his friend is like, oh, this is English, just in reverse. And then it's just him in the dark alone listening to this demonic reverse English. That really scared me as a kid. And this this is another reason why I push back towards three and why I join you gentlemen on that podium for this movie. The note that I have here is the exorcist has a patience that horror movies are afraid to have. Yeah. That's because when you reach this kind of intensity, it's very difficult to appreciate that you've reached that intensity and to relish in it, to, to slow it down and take a breath and just allow it to establish itself. I think when you reach this kind of intensity, horror movies are so quick to, you know, th- throw it in your face or just, you know, th- splash around in it. And it's it it doesn't work. It's not. There's a reason why this movie is a is a banner flying above the rest of the genre. And that's because it does things like this. It reaches that intensity and it stays patient. It relishes it. And we get we get this like interesting uh, there's a conversation between Father Karras and another, I don't know, diocese within the church where he's like, yes, we've we've looked at your evidence. It definitely appears that there is a possession happening here. We do, even though we don't see this very often, we do have someone who's experienced this recently. We're going to call him in for support. And now it's up, now it's up to Father Karras. He is waiting on support from Father Marin, but in the meantime... He's gone to the house. He's spoken with the mother. They're all prepared for the events that are to follow. And what a portal into a different realm Reagan's room has become at this point in the movie. Like, the rest of the house stays the same sort of 70s, upper-middle-class, rich home that you'd expect. But as soon as anyone who was always hesitant when they opened the door to her room opens the door to her room, it is truly below-freezing different feeling dark this is is the next beat for me 
in terms of my interpretation of this movie when Marin shows up. Yes, with the iconic scene of him exiting the taxi in front of the house. When the guy that this movie started with, the guy that was in the middle of northern Iraq, pulling relics out of the ground, shows up. And they've already positioned him as this guy that 10 years ago spent six weeks battling this epic exorcism. When this guy shows up, you get another jump. Because, you know, Father Father Karras came in and calmed things down. And then they, then they pushed back. And, and elevated the other side of it again and made it more and more severe to the point where the Father Karras didn't feel like he was capable of dealing with this on his own and asked the Catholic Church to, you know, permit the exorcism and went somewhere where he didn't think he was going to need to go. And then again, you know, this iconic figure shows up to calm things down again, or at least you feel a shift in tone you feel a shift in confidence from the point that okay he's here now we're gonna finally we have an expert finally well we we're on the we're back on the same level we're gonna walk into this room and we're gonna start to tackle this problem the way that it needs to be tackled we haven't reached this point in the movie until now where we feel confident that the people walking into this room can actually affect change or do something about what's happening to regan mm-hmm. yeah and there is a big blast of hope when he arrives because integral to the whole um core of the story is that the devil works through making you feel such despair that you don't feel worth god's love that's the whole mo of the devil or the random assortment of demons that are taking place within reagan's body so him arriving is this big blast of hope because he shows up ready to rock and roll he hears the demonic screaming from the bedroom, doesn't even phase him. He's just like, yep, that's about right. I think uh, it was the interesting part at this point here um, was when he's like, I think there's uh, like this many different personalities that are coming through. Don't you want to hear about them? And he's like, nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Just nope. Why? Don't hear about them. Why? Well, why? Because there's only one of them. Yeah, there's one. It's just one. And it's evil, and it needs to come out right now. We have holy water, we have our sacramental clothing, and we have the book of rituals, and that's it in our faith. Didn't he ask him to bring that Father Karras's report that he did on this before? Uh, he he told Karras to bring uh, some special like scarf cloth thing from right. the from the church. The the barf cloth. Yes, the barf cloth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, it is a it is a nice con- contrast, and you would expect this kind of contrast from someone who is a a psychiatrist and a priest, and who has also been diving into this intellectually, trying to reach the point of an exorcism, versus the guy that's been through it ten years ago and spent six weeks trying to exorcise a demon. There should be a contrast between mm-hmm. one interpretation and the other. Like it doesn't matter. We need to go up there and we need to get down to business and we need to exercise the shit out of the out of whatever is inside of her. It doesn't matter if it's one, two, five, ten demons. It's coming out and we gotta get down to business. Yes, and Karis is has his last desperate outreach of like, you wanna see my report on her personalities? And Marin's like, Come on, these are not personalities. And he's like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and also though, even though he shows up and there is, you know, a blast of hope, mm-hmm. 
as you call it. Episode four. <laughs> a blast of hope. Um, even though that is happening, you also remember what the clergy were saying, that he almost died. Yes. Exercising this other demon that happened in Africa. So you know that there is a life or death mentality inside of him when he goes up those stairs. Yeah, he has the wisdom, but he's at like 70% of what nearly killed him the first time. You're asking yourself the question of how much did this do to him or what? how much did Africa take out of him? And what do we think about uh, Linda Blair or Reagan's like makeup? Like they have transformed her from a innocent, horse-loving, tickle-finding little girl into this scar-faced, demonic thing that just sits there with her arms bound to the post of the bed and just making crass, sarcastic, sacrilegious jokes. I had problems with the makeup, but that's because I've seen what I believe to be really good makeup with people that are like dying now and in different movies and TV shows that I feel is believable and the green in her makeup that is like fluorescent green through me I feel like this is the only part of the movie that I was like kind of sat back in my chair and was like uh two <laughs> but that was like that was it and I got past that it's fine but I just I had a problem and it, the makeup for its time is probably brilliant. The argument for I would make, but I had it. I just I don't know. I was looking at it and it kind of took me out of the movie a little bit. Her makeup at this point. The argument I would make, and I want to hear your your response to this, is mm-hmm. I feel like if you took the makeup that they used in this movie and put it into modern day camera filmmaking, it would expose it as being terrible makeup. But because it's filmed in that grainy 70s style camera, it it's it's permissible. It's OK. Yeah. Like it, yeah. Like it passes and because of the time and the camera work and the graininess. And if you put that in HD, you'd be like, Meh. right. I, yeah, I, I agree with that. Would probably agree with that as well. And I don't like I don't want to say that like the makeup was the worst thing ever, but it did compared to everything else in the movie. This was like the one thing that I feel like I could nitpick on with you in your I'm not nitpicking. Two I, moments. I, already, I, already, <laughs> I already moved back to three. Yeah, I told you. I already, but, uh, I already stepped onto your podium. Yeah. I just thought I would I would uh, help you out with your. Oh, thank you. Um, you know what you find not appropriate or well, that that is the correct actions of an intern. I like that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you you have sided wisely. Yes. I I'm still firmly on a 3. That was just the only point that hey, I When it when a movie does 97% of everything correctly, you can It's you can you let can, the you things, can cut it, things slide. You yeah. can cut it some slack. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah, I can't even argue that because I because I do get it. If I'm judging, then I do absolutely see that. I, I think upon multiple viewings, I've I've formed a a taste for it, I guess. But yeah, I'm not going to argue it. That's very fair, and they are they are into it now. They are administering the rituals. They have all the sacraments that they need. They are screaming um, this very iconic line from the movie after she decides to... What does she do? She tears her wrist bindings away from the bed and levitates. She says, stick your cock in his ass? Your mother sucks cocks in hell, Paris. Or, 
Or do you mean this one? Stick your cock up her ass, you motherfucking worthless cocksucker. <laughs> to the priest? To the uh, priest. Can I, can I get the mother one again? Your mother sucks cocks in hell, Karis. Okay, so this is the line where they lost the best picture. Oh, yeah, because her mother sucks cocks in hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I have that, <laughs> I have that written right here, that they yeah. lost best picture with that line right there. Well, it's probably this string of lines. Lick me! Lick me! Your mother sucks cocks in hell, Karis. Stick your cock up her ass, you motherfucking worthless cocksucker. To confront this cruel demon. So, I think, I think the... <laughs> I think the... Okay. <laughs> I think the reason why I have your mother sucks cocks in hell as the line is because it's the first one that comes out in oh, that yeah. scene. Yeah. Oh, it must be in the extended one then. Oh, that has right before that she tells Karis to stick his cock up okay. Marin's ass. Yeah, I don't I don't remember that line. So that's I mean, and we're basing this off the original because that's what they evaluated for the Academy Awards. But <laughs> that's the first yeah. line that comes out is your mother six cocks in hell. And I remember looking up the information about the Academy Awards on this movie. And there's this big blurb about this guy like ripped off like it's, you know, just totally screwed like exorcist deserved all the awards. And this is bullshit kind of diatribe. <laughs> and I'm just after I read that and I was watching the movie, I was like, "Yep, that's right there. That's where they lost that's it. That's the moment. <laughs> yeah. you no, know, that sucks. Can't suck cocks in hell." Okay, you put that up next to the Sting with Robert Redford and Paul Newman, and you say that, and it's over. Because <laughs> I, I would actually argue that this movie is potentially equal to or better than the Sting in terms of its execution, but the Sting is reaching a much broader audience right. and not having a negative impact at all. <laughs> much less controversy with the sting. Yeah, no, there's no mother sucks cocks and hell line in the sting. Yeah. Yep. And there's there's so many other movies that have scenes similar to this or try to pull this off or floating over beds or all sorts of random things, but this movie is always executing them properly like when her eyes roll back and all you can see is the whites of her eyes her bindings have torn from the post of the bed and she rises up off of the surface the two of them go into their famous um power of christ compels you speech where they just repeat it over and over again they're tossing holy water on her and it's stripping flesh off of her legs it's all it all could have been so so cheesy and it's not and i want to take a step back here because we just missed the part that I thought was the creepiest part of this whole movie. Um, and it was the writing on her stomach. Oh, right. Help me. Yeah. When that came out, I was, I don't know why, but that was like the one scene that I was like, fuck, that's creepy uh, for me with everything else. But I feel like they did it and it was very well done for me just because everything when, else happened. Did, and I was like, that's weird. But when did that happen though? So I have it in the notes right before the, uh, your mother sucks cock and hell Karis. So it was probably actually the time. It's it's before Marin arrives. Karis is sort of like keeping vital that's, signs on her. That's what I thought. I thought that was right before Marin became involved. 
Yes, and he lifts her shirt up, and it's freezing cold in the room, which is real. Yeah. That room is actually that freezing cold the whole time. They didn't want any special effects for the breath. And she has nothing. She has nothing left. She has no control over her body, so that all she can do is scar her own flesh to send a message. Well, this had an impact on Linda Blair for the rest of her life, did it not? Yeah, it did. Yeah, well, for sure. Flim- this fl- flimsy nightgown and uh, in a refrigerated room for how many takes of crazy makeup laden scenes? I yes. Don't know constantly battling pneumonia not to mention what this movie did to her career when you play a role this well no one sees you as anything else i'm gonna argue that in a minute <laughs> well because because the, the voice actor had the impact so i don't know that you can nominate her for an oscar without nominating her you know subbed in voice as well i don't think that i think that's bullshit do you know what she did <laughs> your canting daughter yeah, that is a point of contention. But let's get through the plot of this movie because we're almost <laughs> done. We're almost done. They've brought her down to the bed. They've calmed down the body. They've calmed down the demons, uh, presumably, within her. And then this, for whatever reason, I can't fully explain it. I'm sure it stands on its own, but I'm not, I don't know if you'll share the impact it had on me. This is one of my favorite scenes in movies ever. There's a handful of scenes that are in The Thing, my other favorite horror movie of all time. But the the scene where she's on the bed and the light is cast up from below and we see the statue of what we learn in the later films is Pazuzu. Right now, all we know is the statue that Marin saw when he was in Iraq of the big demon with the wings and the and she's on the bed writhing and reaching up to the sky and the light is cast and there's smoke. Oh, that scene is so beautiful beautiful to me i don't know what it is it's stuck in my like 10 year old brain it has never left it still gives me goosebumps when i see it today you're not gonna like what i have to say about it intern well let's hear what you have to say about it i just wanted to give you an opportunity before i trash it go ahead (laughs) i thought it was and this may be because i didn't see the extended version maybe i'm missing something but i thought it was a shameful plug of what happened at the very beginning of the movie. You're completely disconnected with Father Marin. You don't know anything about him. You're not connected to the character at all. His whole sucked-in vision is driven by the sound editor of this statue. You don't know anything about the statue. You don't know what it means. This is shamefully trying to connect that to this without any sort of exposition leading you towards that conclusion. This is totally out of place, and it feels completely disconnected from the entire movie, in my opinion. So for you to connect to it as a 10-year-old means you were potentially a stupid 10-year-old. No, for me, the only thing that gives like a physical appearance to pure evil in the movie is that statue. Marin sees it at the beginning. He has the miniature version that he finds the head of at his dig that incites him to be so scared as to retreat back to the Americas. And when it finally appears her here with her reaching up into it with the light and the smoke and everything, it is like the breaking point. They have finally pulled this demon out enough and here's the metaphorical representation or the hallucination of that act happening maybe in father Marin's perspective only maybe yeah maybe i hadn't thought of it that way but sure but that's that's how i would view it uh in turn you're giving a rare opportunity to decide to choose between us you guys aren't gonna like this (laughs) he hates both of our answers (laughs) No, I don't even... 
remember. Like I, I can't even remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't that's, know what's going on here, but I must have been totally into. That's some, why he's the intern. Yeah. Um, <laughs> things. No, I don't give a shit. Learn. That's not something I give a shit about. Okay. So you so with me? Don't give a shit. It's. I'm not with anyone. I don't care. It's not important or unimportant. Okay, let's move on. Okay. It's really disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there's only, there's only two final steps here. We finally have reached some sort of milestone in the ritual. It's time for a break. Regather, this, regroup. This is, this is why I think that what you're saying, if I am to engage it, is purely from Father Marin's perspective. Because... This is if if this is truly the devil that has possessed this young girl, then you know this is not about the ultimate evil coming out of her. They do not succeed. Father Marin does not succeed. No, no pulling, he does not. Doesn't succeed in pulling this demon or this devil out of this girl. So for him, for for that to be any sort of factor here is it makes no sense to me. This is. This is a tribute to how powerful the devil is. That's what makes the ending of this movie so triumphant, is that it does take ultimate personal sacrifice to end this, to pull this devil out of her. It, it takes ultimate sacrifice. It does. And that, that, that is the point in the movie in which Father Karras finds a shortcut that Father Marin was either unaware of or unwilling to take. Because for him, this is a breaking point. He's he's thinking this is going to be a weeks-long venture. So he's like, we've done the ritual. We've splashed her with a bunch of fucking holy water. We've seen her float. She's calmed down now. Tie up her wrists. I'm going to go take some pills. You take a break. <laughs> We're going to come back to this in a couple of hours. And during that time, Father Karras is actually taking a break. But Father Marin has decided to go in by himself against his own advice that he gives Karis earlier in the movie and gets caught up with some sort of turmoil with Reagan or the things possessing her body. Because it's been a while, it's quiet in the house, Father Karis suddenly gets nervous, goes into Reagan's room, and there's Reagan, untied, unbound, leaning up against one of the posts of the bed, and Father Marin is dead dead he did fail he did the whatever is possessing him reagan finally came back around on the opposite side of the world and got him got revenge yes you can only uh survive one exorcism <laughs> it takes a lot Again, out of you. he didn't come whole, in full the whole force. revenge thing is pointless to me because it it's reading into an experience that he had in africa that we never got to fully engage as an audience. I think this is all about Father Karras anyway. Yeah. Like this, this is, is Father Karras' story. Father Karras is the exorcist. Right. This guy is a chump. And no. No, yeah, the mayor is not a chump. He's a fraud. He's, he's not a fraud. He's the person he's the person in the movies in in every story, the one that teaches him how to do it. Yeah. Now you go on and do he better than I Father could. Father Karras how to do it and died. And now it's Karras's turn to take this take care of the situation yes and i love the exorcism i love reagan's posture her look her behavior when she's sitting on the side of the bed watching karis discover that Marin is dead because she doesn't look like 
flamboyantly triumphant. She doesn't seem indifferent. She seems shocked. Like, oh shit, I bested my foe. What what now? Like, that's the impression that I get from seeing her on the bed. She's got this look of shock, but pleasure. Like, I was, I knew I was taking him on. I didn't think it would be this easy. I, I was picturing um, smugness. Yeah, smugness. She was being smug. Oh, absolutely. Laying back there in the corner. Um, and then being, for me, like, I'm ready for round two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ding, ding, Father Kyrus. And that's exactly what happens. He takes her to the ground and punches her in the face. Yes, it did seem a little aggressive. Punches this young, you know, it's still a young girl. You guys are forgetting about the boxer reference. Oh, yeah, right. right. He is a boxer. It's time to take this shit out in round two. Because if it goes to round 15, the decision will be in their favor. Anyway, uh, yeah, no. He, he, He pummels her. Well, the... I mean, at, at at first, you're kind of taken aback. Like, that's not how you should deal with this moment. But then when you realize that there's a demon inside of her, you're like, this is how you should take care of this moment. Well, no, it's it, it's it's the way, it's a tribute to how the whole movie functions, that it's a back and forth between the intensity of evil and good. And that the beat changes that I've been speaking to are, you know, about evil and good establishing itself and balancing itself. Up until this point, where Father Marin's dead, triumphant victory for the for evil, a slight smugness on the face of the possessed Regan, and just a tribute to how the movie has that behaved until this point, and drags Regan down, and says, "No, fuck you, take me, take me instead." And then the minute that the demon takes the bait, martyrdom, he sacrifices himself. Yeah. And that's and that's the only way that as a rational audience member that is a that is that is analyzing and critiquing the experience, that is the only way that you could take down something as significant as the devil is to pay the ultimate sacrifice to make it happen. And as quickly as they did. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I like that because if you draw it out, you you start to open up doors of 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 flaw and, and failure and fraud and ending this early means, you know, it, it just makes sense. It just makes, it makes more sense for it to go down this way when it's this much more intense because for father Marin, who has been through a six month ordeal with a lesser demon, we're going to assume, you know, I don't automatically connect those demons together the way that Daniel's connecting them. It pisses me off actually to say that this demon and that demon are the same demon and they're, taking revenge i don't connect those at all i don't well I don't they're, they're all in all. the realm of demons well i don't know it, i feel like they're the not they're not playing red rovers standing in a circle <laughs> the, the thing that uh i think we should jump on the same page on for this is that they're exercising a demon and not the devil right they regan claims to be the devil no but they father mm. Marin explains that it's just one well then, this whole it's, podcast and they're playing fraud. games. Well, yes, not, not the devil. This whole podcast demon. is a fraud. Then Andrew, no, 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 no. Let me clarify this. We all landed on the devil. Let me clarify this. Yeah, because it's not technically the devil. We'll we'll actually learn in later movies that it's Pazuzu, but Pazuzu. It's, it's Pazuzu. well, then the wheel should have landed on Pazuzu, Daniel. 
This fucking shit is fraudulent. This podcast <laughs> should have never happened. This is garbage. No, no. Let me clarify. In much the same way that all angels are of God and are God at the same time, so the same goes for demons. They're all of the devil and the devil at the same time. And there is a point in this when Karis is interviewing Even Reagan. the archangel Michael? Yes. There's a point. Of, of God and is God, even though he betrayed God? Yes. There's some crap in this stew, and it smells like poo. No, you could even say that all demons are of God and God at the same time as well. Daniel sounds like a real priest. Have you been to church lately? The power of the intern compels you. <laughs> the point is that... The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! Hold on, it's almost over. The power of Christ compels you! Almost over. The power of Christ compels you! Just a couple more, I think. The power of Christ compels you! All right, guys, quiet it down. The power of Christ compels you! Okay, get it out. The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! It goes on forever, am I right? Yeah. I was actually, I found that somewhat meditative. I was ready to sit back and start saying the same thing and do some yoga. Why, why is this the automatic thing that everybody should know? That what? angels are God and God is angels? I don't agree with that. And demons are the devil and devil is all demons? Just I don't... read the Bible. It's, it's, it's all a bit, it's all the esoteric spiritual. They all have that same message. We are all individual humans and we are all one collective conscience at the same time. Uh, it's that sort of message. And there's even a part where Karis is interviewing Reagan where she mentions this. We're like, okay, you got us. We are legion. We are many in one, all referring to one. One is many. Is that extended version or original? I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's original. Okay. I don't know. And the wheel just, landed the is, is on the devil. Two priests don't defeat the devil. Two priests... Well, well no, I didn't. I didn't see the devil dying in this scene. I saw no. the devil being pulled out of one body, and to another. Ending. That body that it entered into ending. Right. And that's that. Yes, his half dozen or so of his many thousand strong tentacles were pulled out of this one child, and into the priest Karis, who throws himself out the window. We fall down the stairwell. And upon his, I don't know, dying last squirts of blood is offered redemption from Father O'Malley, who happens to come to his side right at the right time. And I guess he is forgiven for all of his sins and will have a place in heaven with the God Almighty. What kind of impact does that have on the demon that has entered into his body? That's that's sort of where, you know, the... This is where we need to go with what the sound crew is telling us. The movie is over now. The conflict has been resolved. We're going to see a healthy Reagan spring back to life. The hot, the house, fuck that house. So the family is going to move away entirely. And uh, we don't need to think about, couldn't that demon just easily have floated back up the stairwell and back into Reagan, who was vulnerable and laying there, barely exited previously? Or... Is it now shut off? Did that act of martyrdom, did that life for a life resolve whatever horrible imbalance was causing this conflict in the first place? Well, I'll bring your attention to earlier in the podcast, Daniel. There is a strict regiment that needs to be followed in order for 
uh, possession to take place. The evil needs to compress the house. Uh, Ouija boards need to be used to open up gates. Some sort of witchcraft, the, yeah. That allow the legions to come through. There's there's a certain step by step procedure that needs to happen in order for possession to happen. So. Well, there, yeah, there is a confluence of elements. Yes. What I was more concerned about was Father O'Malley touching him and uh, holding his hand, and, and it may be passing from father some, to father, uh, or Father O'Malley just getting it. Yeah. As like a final fuck you from the devil, I don't know. Something. I was like, well, don't touch him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, careful, careful. <laughs> yeah, be careful. He's <laughs> got cooties for real. But, like crazy but after cooties. the scene is over, you do. That is a really well done scene as well, where he's he's getting his last rites. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of touching, actually. Just from the martyrdom standpoint, for him to be there to give the last rites is kind of kind of cool. Yeah, because we don't get any like gasping last breaths of air. We just get his bloody hand barely able to mimic a motion of affirmation yeah yeah it yeah i don't there's something i want to say about the exorcist and that's that there could have been several failed attempts at this leading up to the exorcist but it's almost like they came out of the gate and did it right out of the out of the jump like is there other exorcism movies that came before this that failed that I'm unaware of? Because it feels like they just stepped through the door and nailed it. Yeah, and they've been trying to nail it ever since and failing. <laughs> it's such a weird <laughs> dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I think the last differentiation between yours and Andrew's viewing is here at the end. Because here, I think in Nathan's version, in the original version, we have uh, that everyone packing up to leave, the maid, the butler... Um, Reagan, Chris, everyone. And then at the last moment, Father O'Malley is there to sort of see them off. And then Chris stops the car and hands the necklace that Father Karras was wearing, like a saint protection necklace or whatever, gives it to Father O'Malley, who takes it, thankfully, and they drive off into the, the horizon. And then in Andrew's version, I think it's a little bit different than that, isn't it? Yeah, so... Um... The detective swings by. Kinderman. He, Lieutenant Kinderman. Lieutenant Kinderman. And he talks with the other priests. And then he tells them that they should go watch a movie, some cinema. And the priest gives them the same response that uh, Father Karras did earlier. He blows them off. priests watch <laughs> a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so which ending is better? Is it better to just think, to reflect upon what just happened and just deal with the fact that they're moving on to a different part of their life and hopefully hopefully demons won't follow them or to end on a little bit of a joke? No, I think they should have not done my ending. Yes, I, that's the that's the one part I agree. I don't, I like the original ending much better. The other things they've added or taken away from the extended cut, they all work uh, relatively well, but the ending I found very weird. Yeah, I feel like I would have liked the ending more if that didn't happen, actually. Uh, We may never see us be so circle jerk about a movie like this on 100 Lunatics again. So if you found it boring to watch us just reconfirm how great everything is, don't worry. I doubt we'll ever be on the same page again. But I'm sticking with my three. Andrew? Um, I'm going to say I'm sticking with a three so much so that I... I learned the music on my ukulele when I was done watching this oh. movie. I oh, wanted nice. to make a comment about the music. It's so good. 
that the musical score, the dun 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 dun, uh, that belongs in a in a movie like Halloween and has no place in a movie like The Exorcist. No. They use that song twice in the original version throughout the entire movie. Yep. And it seems out of place and awkward. Oh. And I cast that whole thing aside and uh, pay tribute to the rest of the sound and music going on aside from the theme song. So you learned whatever you learned on the ukulele For nothing? in vain. I don't care. I <laughs> like nothing. It. I still like it. Okay. Andrew, it, it, sounds, it sounds like the Halloween theme song as well. Right. Fair enough. But I enjoyed it. Three. <laughs> Three. <laughs> And then Nathan. I'm moving from a two to a three. Uh, I really was at a three at the beginning, but I knew that this was going to be a big circle jerk, so I thought I'd try and make it interesting. And I feel that I uh, helped this podcast entertain you. Well done, gentlemen. We're done here. Let's move on. To the spin that will decide next episode's movie and Nathan I think you're privy to this intern I'm not sure audience definitely not unless you've picked up on it yourself um, we've sort of been moved over to a back and forth program now we're gonna spin for an original property movie and then the next time we're gonna spin for a sequel or a remake therefore retaining more of our roots what made us get into franchise horror in the first place so since we've done an original property now with the exorcist in turn what category do you think we're moving on to now a sequel or a remake sequel or a remake let's spin for it The category is sequels and remakes. You will be watching Night of the Demons 2. (laughs) (laughs) No! (laughs) I'd like you to know that that is a completely random choice out of a possibility of 10 sequels or remakes that we could have done. I was crossing my fingers for Leprechaun 3. That was on there. That was on there. I'm going to go slip my wrist in the bathtub. Night of the Demons 2. The first one was so fucking bad. Yeah. Oh, eat a bowl of fuck. That that landed on a zero for me for this scale. Well, that means they've got nowhere to go but down. Or up. It's true. Uh, Daniel, come on. We're going down. Come on. (laughs) We're to go, but down or up? Come on. It's going to be a minus one or a zero again, I'm thinking. Hey, this could be a two. (laughs) I think you're being ridiculous. (laughs) That's what I think. I think it'll be nice. A little, something a little lighter now. This has been weighing over for us for a while. We wanted to make sure that we gave the exorcist the respect that it was due. I think we've done that. Well, I guess the... The good point to make here is that Night of the Demons 2 uh, is not followed by a sequel, is it? Yeah. So there's, there's no more. You there is a three uh, there and is then a, a remake. remake to oh, Night of the Demons itself. So there is still a Night of the Demons on the table. But there's, that's. Yeah. And there's a three. There's a three? Oh, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, they just don't know when to stop. No. It's, 
Three Night of the Demons and a remake. Uh, Leprechaun, there's many more left in that series okay, for wait us. A okay, but Night of the Demons stops at three? Yes. Okay. And then so. the remake has Shannon Elizabeth from American Pie. Mm. Well, that's nice. Night of the Demons 2 means, Andrew, that we only have two more Night of the Demons to get through after this one. Halfway. <laughs> What's the possibility it's going to land on Night of the Demons 3? I mean, there's the... That's the, ridiculous. There's the Freddy Jason remakes. There's the Wicker Man remake. Uh, there's so many different things that it could land on. Why would it do that to us? Yeah. Exorcist 2. There could be Exorcist now, yeah. Oh, there could be Exorcist yeah. sequels as well. Henry Henry 2 and then after Night of the Demons 2 we're going to get another original in play that maybe puts other elements on the table there is no reason to think that Night of the Demons 3 or the Night of the Demons remake will ever will ever have to be viewed by us no just bad luck is all this is Andrew yeah that's fantastic I yeah. carry it around like a you know wet sack of soap <laughs> wet sack of soap that familiar simile that we all go to Wet sack of soap. Yeah, don't they use that in a uh, full prison? metal jacket or something? Yeah, yeah maybe. That's how my luck is going these days. Wet sack of soap. <laughs> oh, Nathan. W S O S. Nathan, yes. intern, audience at large, 100lunatics.com. That's where you can find our main site, our main feed. Everything you need to know about all the podcasts that we do or the rating system that we use. You can reach us at 100 Lunatics. You can reach Nathan personally at... I hate horror. Or if for whatever reason, who knows what the reason could be that you'd want to talk to the intern, you can reach him at... The Intern TPP. The in at the at Intern the TPP. With everything that I watch, there will be a rating next to it on that Twitter feed, so you can get all used to the, the rating system. It's exhausting listening to him talk about it. <laughs> he watches a movie, he'll, he'll come over, and he'll see a movie on TV, and he'll be like, yeah, I gave that movie a one. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a two. It was a minus one. Yep, or go directly to the intern's YouTube feed for his upcoming video of him playing tubular bells on the ukulele. Otherwise, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or any other platform you choose to listen to us on. Find us somewhere, interact somehow. Good night. Penis. To confront this cruel demon. The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! Away. The sour is mine. Fuck me! Fuck me! Fuck me! What an excellent day for an exorcism. Did you do that? Uh... Fuck you!
we should look this up later. You can look it up. You can look it up and you can verify that I'm right and then you can apologize to me in turn. I won't. You will. I'll look it up. On air, you will apologize to me. Okay, so that fight's over, Daniel. Uh, Carry on. I'd rather be dead than your slave. (laughs) 